work for. This is a production of Dirty Mo Media. They been wondering how we made it to the top. Yeah, we work for it. Ain't nobody give us nothing, so we work for it. Dirty cause we got it out the mud. Ooh, we work for it. I never let you take it from us cause we work for it. I came from the hard, you know, the hard work inside of the track type racing. Got it out the mud, yeah, we work for it. Never let you take it from us, cause we work for it. Yeah, work for a lot of hard work, a lot of sacrifice, a lot of sacrifice. You drive with a, I don't know, with a sincerity. You know, you're real you're serious. Uh, Everybody, Dale Jr. back again. Another episode right here in the Bojangle studio, the Dale Jr. download. Mike Davis, my co-host, he's here. Matthew Dillner, Hannah, everybody is in the house. We're going to have a great show for you. Ask Jr. coming up later. We got Ricky Carmichael as our guest today. That's going to be exciting to learn about his career, Mike. But also a big surprise, man. Our open segment is going to be a little bit different today. Yeah, we've got uh, Justin Marks going to show up, and uh, he's got to unveil something for us. We haven't seen this, so I, I, I want to I see what he's got. Yeah, Justin Marks has got a big surprise for us, and uh, so why don't we just go ahead and get started and bring Justin in. There he is. What's up, man? How you doing? Have a seat. Throw on that headset. <laughs> You have, I bet. Busy winning. I mean, you, that's a good. That's a good type of busy to be. Yeah. So, Justin, man, I appreciate you coming in here yeah. today. Um, we want to get you on for the whole show so we can talk about yeah. all the amazing things that Trackhouse has been doing. Cool. I mean, you got to be on on a high right now. That's unbelievable. It's. Uh, I mean, it's what I tell people is like I, I didn't start. I didn't start this team. Start this project to run fifteenth or twentieth. I mean, we started to try to build a winning organization. It's just that the spectrum of time has been reduced drastically. It's just yeah. happened really, really quickly. I don't think it's ever happened before. I, I can't. I can't really think of another scenario where a team came in out of the gate. I mean, I know that you. Every team that's ever been created in this sport is a collection of people that have been in the industry a while. There's nobody that comes in with a crew chief that's never crew chief before and, and a car chief that's never car chiefed in NASCAR before. I know you've got parts and pieces of different organizations and people with a lot of history, but it's never really came together so quickly. Well, I mean, I think that's the key. I mean, I, there's two things at play here. One is one is the fact that we've got you know a collective experience of like hundreds of years in this in this industry, right? And it's like and it started with Ty. I mean, with Ty basically was like you know we have to we have to create our core group of people, you know, public relations, sponsor relations, management, things like this, just to make sure that that we hit the ground with, with experience and and we know what we're doing. And then it's honestly it's. I believe really it's the promise of this new car. I mean, I think this new car evens the playing field and I'm a huge believer in the fact that we can be successful with this car if we build an organization that's where like the culture is right and the, the mood is right because we can no longer beat everybody with, um, 
with superior equipment. We can't design a car that's just fundamentally faster than other cars on the racetrack. So yeah. it's about just how we execute. And that's mm -hmm. like been the MO since day one. You mentioned Ty and Ty's done an amazing thing. I know uh, he's been around the sport and I worked with him at, at DEI for many years. We He was part of a very successful organization at DEI. He helped build Michael Waltrip Racing really from the ground up uh, into a winning uh playoff caliber uh organization and it's really in helped you do the same thing yeah i mean you know what's so valuable is is his experience it's all the experience doing that like he knows you know he's won and he's lost and he's succeeded and he's failed and and now he's sort of at a point in his life where he can be very reflective and say these are the things that worked in my in my career and these are the things that that didn't work and now we can apply those to track house where at his age is sort of the last big project in the sport that he's going to do so i think i've got the best version of ty norris that's ever existed <laughs> right now which is which is really really great for track house but um but yeah i mean having that i mean he showed up in 90 90 91 when he was working for Winston I mean so yep. so I mean he's the, you know he's been in, he's been in the trenches for through multiple eras of the sport and be able to have that kind of experience and that that sort of history and knowledge base to lean on has been has been great for Trackhouse, but he's also very open-minded. And when I went to him with the vision of what we're trying to do, and that's create a brand that's bigger than any one person to try to look different and do do something, thought of things in a different way, um, that resonated with him, and he was excited about it because I think he, like all of us, you know, recognized that right now in the sports, it's a great time to do that. And you just mentioned it; you look different. And we, me and Mike were talking about uh, y'all's paint schemes this year they they're they're out of they're outside they're out of the box and i know this new car kind of lends itself to to a lot of a lot of new freedoms and stuff in design where the numbers been moved and so forth the so sponsors have different placement and it's really allowed teams to think differently about how their cars appear on the racetrack but nobody i think is doing a better job than track house um where's the influence come from for some of the some of the explosiveness in some of y'all's y'all's paint schemes well i mean i think you know it's it started with 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 me sort of just you know putting a directive out into the country uh, into the company and just saying you know challenge everything right and and um things that typically don't resonate or people don't think about actually can make big differences like the haulers right like the haulers tend to be kind of an afterthought mm -hmm. right it's just like it is you know our hauler assets something that's in sponsorship agreements well for some people yes for some people no um it's, it is a billboard going down the highway but it wasn't really something that we were selling and so I said, well, let's look at the haulers and let's do something completely different. And I spent way too much money wrapping <laughs> those haulers. I mean, they make, I mean, I bought, you know, a lot of square footage of this reflective stuff. But the thing is, is that when they roll into Daytona, that's what everybody was talking about. And so it's kind of like the the aggregate of all those little things added up to really kind of creates this this thing for Trackhouse that's just different, stands Identity. out, it looks looks different. And, and when it comes to the schemes and the cars, you know, one thing that we you know, we've I've got a great designer in Kyle Sykes that works for us, who who has been in the sport for a long time, and and um, you know, we go to our partners and we fight with we fight to get him as much artistic license as That's possible. That's really cool right? to hear. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's so cool to hear. And I want to, I'm I'm glad you mentioned his name because I think some of the unsung heroes mm -hmm. in our sport are these designers, especially yep. now, because you, in years past, you know, you look at the cars on this table. You know, there's not. They're cool. There's some great looking yeah. race cars that we've seen in the history of the sport. But today, there, it's almost a competitiveness or yeah. a, a competitive atmosphere to really bring something special to really set yourself apart. And these designers have become quite valuable. Uh, we have people. We have Ryan here, Ryan Williams, in our in our business in our building, and I think he's one of our 
key pieces uh, that, that right. helps us really set ourselves apart, at least get noticed, yeah. right, in a, in a very crowded field. That, I mean, optics are hugely important, especially in this day and age. I mean, at the end of the day, I, I look at it and I go, like, we're, we're a marketing company that happens to race, right? We're not a racing team that tries to figure out how to market and get sponsorships. We are fundamentally a marketing company. And that comes down to building a brand and it comes down to the optics of everything and how everything looks. And to your point, you know, nowadays we have this incredible forum of creativity out there with iRacing and with all these these people that have these templates and these kids and these people yeah. that are able to get super creative. So the addressable market of designer talent is an order of magnitude bigger than it's ever been because anybody with some artistic ability and, and um, some ideas can sit at a computer and create something that looks pretty darn real. Yeah. Um, and, you know, that's what Kyle was doing. He was doing a lot of iRacing stuff. He entered a design contest and won and was <laughs> able to get on a, a truck or, or something like that. that and that's, cool? that's amazing. And, and that's how we that's how we found him. About 25 percent of my social media uh, on Twitter, what I pay attention to is designers. And yeah, a lot yeah. of these guys aren't actually hired or working with teams. They're just you know, aspiring or guys that just have creativity and just like, Hey, look what I think this is cool. Yeah. You know, and it's pretty amazing what's going on out there, but there's a lot of, there's a lot of opportunity. I already have our 2023 haulers and pit boxes done. <laughs> and I'm just, I'm just, cause it's a whole nother, a whole nother concept, a whole nother idea. That's going to be awesome. Well, Take that Penske and yeah. Hendrick <laughs> better step up. Penske's are, you know, that's a great, that's a great example. Penske's had Penske has an identifiable look. That's right. A brand, an identity that's, that's, you know, when you see it, you know it, right? And yeah. I think that that's important. Well, you you got something cool you wanted yep. to bring to, to the table today. So let's talk about that. Yeah. So, um, you know, huge fan of the history of the sport. Uh, I think it's important for these teams, as you know, even the, the real new ones like Trackhouse, to be stewards of the history of the sport and, and to help, you know, do little things to preserve the history of the sport. So we had this opportunity to have both cars at, um, at Darlington this year. And we're like, okay, what, you know, what can we do? throwback we've had a number of years now with the throwback that's that it's kind of getting a little bit more difficult to think about <laughs> we were just <laughs> talking like, about it. I, I mean at one point early and like, even before like last year track house was like man we need to throw back something that's not even racing like do an old waylon jennings car or johnny <laughs> like just throw like an american cultural throwback right anyway yeah um we've got these two chevrolets we've got great partners in coca-cola and and ty and i were talking about you know how to do something impactful and meaningful we've obviously got the one car and and, and the 99 and um and Ty told me a story about a shoe and told me a story <laughs> yeah. about a, uh, yeah. about Dale Jr.'s first time in a cup car. And, oh. and we started talking about it. And we came up with, a, with an amazing two-car throwback to your first time in a cup car race against your father in Japan and, and here to show you what we're, what we're going to do. Let's see it. History will be made here in Japan when Dale Earnhardt Jr. and Dale Earnhardt Sr. raced against each other for the first time. Look at Dale Earnhardt Jr. and his dad right behind him, father, and then his tire trucks. Dale Earnhardt Jr. and Dale Earnhardt Sr. Don't call anybody little in this group. They are This is one of the battles everybody's been waiting for. Earnhardt picks it up another notch. Oh my gosh! There you go. The one car almost <laughs> takes my breath because it's I it's 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 the car. It is you know when you do throwbacks. Yep. We were we were talking earlier. <laughs> it's really unique. It's almost like an eclipse when you can do the sponsor, the colors, and the number. That's right. And the right font and everything. And that's the car. That's the car. That is the car. Yep. And um, man, it's pretty special. I'm and you're you're in a unique position to include both cars. Yeah, that's right. right. So it's exactly. A, it's such a special thing that it'll, I don't know if it'll, 
if you'll ever have that all come together like that again. Um, so it's you know we uh, Kyle and and um, like we we had to like they we couldn't find the polar bear artwork. Oh, <laughs> and uh, we had to recreate it. Yeah, and so we had to go on the computer and completely recreate it and look at all these old pictures and everything. So I mean, to, to your point, that one car is. I mean, that is. What that's was the car. The car is about one hundred and eighty-five thousand dollars more, about two hundred fifty thousand dollars more expensive now yes. than that one was. <laughs> You're right. So, um, th- when you took this idea to Coke, what was their reaction? They loved it. Yeah. I mean, yeah, they absolutely loved it. Coke's been a great partner of ours. They're a big supporter of Daniels. They're a big supporter of Trackhouse. And, and, you know, Coke's been a big part of the sport for a long time, obviously. And, and you know, for them to be to be a part of a throwback, to really go back to, you know, look at themselves and the history of the sport and, and, and just kind of see a, a modern-day visualization of, of the commitment that they made to your family, um, it, I think they were, they were super excited about it. Yeah. yeah. You want to talk about Lunar Eclipse-like stuff. Having That's, a sponsor that was it's still around 24 years yeah. later – and giving you the opportunity that's to kind have of more the same sponsor on the car. Like that's that. more like a Haley's Comet. Is that what that is? <laughs> yeah. I got it. All right. We're going even more. We're going very astronomical here. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. it's 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 a it's a, it's great for us as Trackhouse to be able to do something that's that's not just not just finding an old cool car, but one that's actually got a story and it's yeah. got historical significance and it's important and and you know I I I raised or we, you know we were track houses out of rcr last year and and i heard that andy petrie you know still owned harry gant's mr september car and he had it up in his bar in Asheville, north carolina i said if you ever want to sell that thing you call me first and right. about three months later he called me and said i got it if you want to get it so track house bought it so it's sitting in and it's turnkey and it's race ready and it's the car the old old school, old school bandit and it's sitting in our lobby and i'm going to go take laps at darlington right before the cup race on sunday and what yeah you gotta no be kidding, kidding me! I'm super pumped about. I bet. Yeah, so Fox is gonna come put a camera in it, and I got a helmet being skull bandit helmet being done. And, <laughs> oh my um, god! And it's in the racer and me went back on racing reference, to figure out what the pole time in 1991 for a Darlington race was. <laughs> I was like, I probably need to slow that roll. Yeah, you going yeah, for yeah. it? You going for the record? <laughs> you need to. You need to get with Clint because uh, the other week when he drove the Davy car, he had a a, a, yep. a skull bandit helmet. So you should get with him. Get yep. that. Yep. Yeah. Man, that's gonna be special. Yeah. Right. Well, thank you. I, I, I mean, no, I mean, I appreciate your. Uh, I appreciate. You know, I don't. I don't know you that well. We haven't spent a lot of time around each yeah. other. But I'm. I want to say that everything that I see about you, everything that I'm learning about you, I can't tell you how much I appreciate that. Mm. You're obviously you're, what you're bringing to the sport as an owner, and the the opportunities you're creating for people in your business and throughout the sport. The way you're changing the the mindset and the thinking and the you know you're creating real opportunities for future owners a pathway or a blueprint um and and that's a pretty uh, honorable thing but also your your appreciation for the history i mean that's it's important that we we kind of stay linked to that mm-hmm. in some way you know and acknowledge it and celebrate it and the fact that you uh you know really do appreciate that means a lot to me well thank you i i I'm just living a dream. I, I just I love this sport more than just about anything in the whole world. And I and I, I that fire burns as hot today as it did when I was playing with Hot Wheels on my grandpa my grandpa's uh, carpet, watching races on TNN from North Wilkesboro. I mean, I just I I love it, and and I've always wanted to make a difference in the sport and do something. I tried to do it behind the wheel, and that became apparent that that wasn't going to happen. And I had to find a place in the sport where I could make a difference and try to build a legacy. So I just yeah. I'm just a lucky person. Well, I think that the the stuff you did behind the wheel was the foundation for what right, you are today. Right. So uh, I would be very proud yeah. of all of it. Thank you. I want to get you in this in this room when you can, and yeah. we need to talk about how you did all this. Yeah, let's do it. Uh, we'd love to do that, but 
uh, for now. Uh, we just want to thank you. This is uh, this is an honor for me. I'm I'm very touched. It's 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 uh, going to make a lot of Earnhardt fans, Dale Earnhardt fans, very happy to see both those cars out on the racetrack. Yeah. And you guys have been knocking out of out of the park in performance. So I'm sure they'll thank be you. up toward the front for a lot of the fans to see on TV. Be pretty cool. Put one of those things in victory lane. You know what would mean more? Take your shoe off and throw it at. Oh yeah, Daniel. Okay. We'll have to just no, throw it no, at. No, so that, to yeah. be to be. Gr- to be correct, Daniel would have to throw his shoe <laughs> at Ross. At yeah. Ross. That's yeah. right. Yeah. So after okay. the race at some All point. Right. <laughs> in a in a rented modular home. It's <laughs> uh, about the half the size of this room. <laughs> Let's that do be, it. That'd be quite the optic. <laughs> do it. <laughs> Thank you. You got it, buddy. Thank you. Justin Marks on the Dale Jr. Download. The Dale Jr. Download is brought to you by ZipRecruiter. You going to any concerts this summer, man? I am. I'm seeing a concert in June. Hardy. And Kit Moore. Love Hardy. In uh, Charlotte. I was so stressed getting the tickets. I'm going to be front row. I'm, I'm in the pit. When these tickets go out, man, I am online as soon as tickets open. I don't want to miss a thing. Yeah, you, you know, you got to act quick. Yes. And when you want the best, you have to act quickly or someone else will get it instead. It's like if you're hiring for a business, you want to find the most talented people for your open roles before the competition scoops them up. Mm. So what's the best way to do that? Zip Recruiter. ZipRecruiter finds qualified candidates fast, and right now, you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash Dale Jr. ZipRecruiter's powerful matching technology takes center stage to identify top talent for your roles. Immediately after you post your job, ZipRecruiter's smart technology starts showing you qualified people for it. Amp up your hiring performance with ZipRecruiter and find the best fast. See why four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address right now to try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash Dale Jr. Again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash Dale Jr. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. As usual, I'm pretty excited to have Ally help us bring in the guest portion of our show. Uh, having allies and connecting with great allies has always been really important to me throughout my career and continues to be important to me today. And we got a great guest coming in the show, Ricky Carmichael. It's going to be pretty awesome, Mike. I love when we do the non-NASCAR you know, NASCAR guys, but hey, he has a little bit of a NASCAR career. I think a lot of us... You know, kind of think about him as the GOAT and the greatest of all time in, in motorcycles and in racing and motocross. But you know, he did race stock cars for a while, so we can tap into that just a little bit. That's right. He had a little bit of success, and uh, but he is the greatest of all time when it comes to that uh, motorcycle and that Supercross. And, we, man, we're feeling our Supercross vibes this week because we've got the championship on CNBC this weekend. Can't wait to watch that. But if you're going to have the vibes, bring in the GOAT, right? The GOAT's who you got to have. And we got to hear about it, right? Yeah. He's got a lot to tell us. We got a lot of questions. I can't wait to have it. Well, the great thing about that nickname is, you know, he earned it. That wasn't something that he gave himself, right? And uh, you know, you got nicknames are only good when they're earned. Like they're they're given to you by the fans or by the by the industry or by your peers. And and this one certainly is well deserved. I mean, the guy's uh, just had an incredible career, and now uh, as an analyst, you know, he's kind of carving out his own. You know his own identity, and brings a ton of passion, and 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 still, you know, even after all these years, just loves what he does, and yeah. I think that that really matters to people. Listen, if you go two seasons with uh, perfection, like you don't lose a race, 
you are in the conversation of GOAT. Mm-hmm. Then you add in all his championships, he is the GOAT. Yeah. There's no close second. Let's bring him in. You want right. to? Ricky Carmichael, let's bring him into the studio. shaking guys man we're just getting through another day how about you i'm all good (laughs) thanks for having me yeah of course this is awesome thanks for being here yeah yeah it's uh i hadn't been up here in a while we were talking uh the last time i was here i was at uh, hammerhead filming a uh, comedic gaskets (laughs) yeah so we were there and then that's the last time that's been a while yeah that's that's the last time you've been in the even in the area like north carolina charlotte area Mm -hmm. and you used to be up here quite a bit i imagine when you're racing the stock car stuff yeah yeah so where's home uh tallahassee florida how do you like that it's good yeah it's it's all right you know it's i always tell people ain't much happening there if you don't go to florida state or or you ain't in politics, so yeah. yeah. He's got a couple dealerships do. down there. So yeah, that's you do. I know. I do. I've bought. I've bought an. Uh, I bought an Escalade from there a couple Very years cool. ago. Yeah, they they, they have <laughs> great customer care. Actually, <laughs> I love it. They have great customer care, so that's, that's, uh, that's nice. Yeah, that's that's kind of the mo at Intercado. Yeah. yeah. So, How yeah. awkward would it have been though if it was not good customer care and he's well, at the table and he's like, no, I got no, I got to no. talk to you about that we later. Have to, we have to take care. They're of good. They're, they're, no, they're they're good and uh, take good care of you. Take good care of me. So. What are you doing these days with your time? So I'm an analyst for motocross or Supercross, mm-hmm. Monster Energy Supercross Series on NBC. So that takes up, uh, let's see here, that's 17, 17 weeks out of the beginning of the year. So you know how that goes. We get one weekend off. Normally it's around Easter. But it's not bad. You know, it's every Saturday. Uh, we fly out Fridays, fly home Sunday, a couple production meetings. You know how it goes with the NASCAR stuff and being an analyst. So I like it though. It, yeah. At first, um, it was tough. It really was. It was harder than what I had thought it was going to be. And our, and our fans are pretty brutal. I always tell people I like our, our fans in Supercross are, I mean, from a respect standpoint and I love them, but man, they'll, they'll tear you a new one. Yeah. So, uh, what were, were, what were some of the things that you found challenging? Well, first of all, I really didn't know what my job was to like the second year I went in there, I was like <laughs> announcing the races. Yeah. Like, and yeah. yeah and, and then I remember I was watching um, Sunday night football and Collinsworth and the back and forth that he, he had going. I'm like, oh, okay. I just do the how and the why. So then I let my play-by-play guy, you know, do the 30,000 30, foot view. And I'm like, okay, well, this is how the guy passed him. And this is what he did. And then, and that was, that was once I learned that, like I didn't have to announce the damn race, <laughs> then it wasn't as quite as challenging. Did you want to 
announce the race? Was that like, did you, did you, there was the play by play something that was interesting? Yeah, I think it was. I, I, I enjoyed doing it. Yeah. I enjoyed doing it. It just kind of came natural to me. So the, the one thing also that is challenging about an anal- being an analyst for Supercross is the time, how everything happens so fast. I mean, you know, you have the, the, the track is probably 50 seconds, Supercrosses are. So, I mean, it, it, it's shorter than stock car tracks for the most, or longer than stock car tracks, mile and a half, short, uh, half miles. But you have, you know, there's six lanes on a track, you know, and things are happening so fast. And, you know, there's no pit stops and, and the, the timing is really hard to get what you need to get out and say enough that, so that the casual fan is knowing what I'm talking about. That's, that's still to this day the challenging part for me. Yeah. It's, it's tough. I agree. I find the challenge in, in uh, trying to explain something so that ev- everyone can understand it, but there are people that want the, the nuts and bolts, right? Yeah. And you got to try to give them a little bit of that too. And we, our, my booth mates, we have that conversation about are we getting into the weeds here? Are we getting too far yeah. into the – See, I like, I love when y'all get in the weeds because, you know, I have a little bit more experience than maybe the casual man does. And I like to know your insight. I'm like, man, what was he thinking when when he was in that moment? And then I try to put myself like it would have been nice to have known that if I was in that moment. And sometimes I'll do that on on our broadcasts, but it's, it's so hard. And then Feld Entertainment, Feld Motorsports, who are the producers of Supercross, you know, they really want us to get at a ground level. You know, mm-hmm. we're trying to broadcast to the people that have never won a Supercross race to the point is like, hey, that that Suzuki, that yellow Suzuki or that blue Yamaha. And then going, making full circle back to the fans, that's when they really tear us a new one. It's like, oh, yeah, we don't know that Yamaha is blue. And, uh, you know, it's just stuff like that. Just drive. That's the <laughs> negative part. Why I, don't I was like going to ask it. that. What is the criticism typically from, from fans that are watching? And are they criticizing your oh, yeah. broadcasting? So that is, how do you handle it? Does it affect you? Yeah, uh, no, it doesn't. It doesn't affect me. It doesn't. It's frustrating. I wish that... I wish they wouldn't be so critical, you know. I, I by, I'm not perfect by any means, but I feel like I, I bring some good insight, and I wish that they would respect whether it's me, whoever it might be. I mean, they tear us, they tear us up, and it's just, I mean, if you say one wrong word, boom, they're on you. Oh yeah, mm. you know? I do. Sometimes I'll have a great broadcast, and then I'll see where somebody said, "Hey, you called Ty, uh, yeah. Ty Gibbs, you know, Ty Dillon, right?" Yeah. We, we heard that. We heard you make that mistake. Yeah, and same I'm like, thing. I'm like, well, yeah, okay, I screwed up for freaking both named Ty. You know, <laughs> you're, right. you're running 100 miles an hour, yeah. right, in yeah. your mind, and you're just spitting everything out. The last one was, uh, and this is where I love social media until I don't. <laughs> so we're in uh, Foxborough last weekend, the weekend before. We were just in Denver, so before, before Denver. And the dirt was like, you know, like, like they were calling it like moon, moon dirt. You know, so I'm like, well, and, and Diffie was our, my play-by-play guy that weekend. I'm like, Diff, I said, listen, man, I've never been to the moon, but if if I did, I could imagine this is, it's probably, I, this appears to be like moon dirt from what I've seen on TV. I mean, the broadcast wasn't even over, and there's memes, and they had me in an astronaut suit <laughs> on the moon yeah. and all that stuff. I mean, just, I was like, well, what do you do? And I tried to make light of it, you sure. know, but... Uh, 
It's fun. I've been enjoying it. I hope that um, NBC and, and Fell continue their partnership, and I'd love to love to keep doing it. I, I thought that I would never travel as much as as I'm doing now with, with just the analyst stuff, just because when I retired from Supercross and Motocross, I said I'm never going to travel this much, you know. I'm working harder not driving. Right. That's what I found. Yeah, because you, you can't tell no to people. I mean, you can't, but you can, you can but – yeah, but you don't. When, yeah, right. I know, right. God, so. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. It sucks, but it's great. Y'all, yeah. y'all just air, air everything out. You need to air out, but broadcasting <laughs> stuff, this yeah. is the place to we do it right We can finish each other's Go ahead and finish it. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I was like, there ain't no way I'm traveling, but here I am. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's funny. Um, sometimes I'll post on my Instagram. So with, with budgets and everything, you know, Supercross budget's a lot different than NASCAR budget, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming on the TV side. But anyhow... I don't get upgradable fares, you know, so I'm I'm back in the in the common man's seat, you know, and I'm okay with that. It takes me back to my roots. Grew up from nothing, but it's uh it's it's tough sometimes, you know, because when when things were good, I was chartering and all that stuff, and I was racing, yeah. and and it was worth it. There's no doubt. I think it helped my career and helped me get a few more years down the line, just from being able to be home a day earlier and leave a day earlier from the track or whatever it might be. But, yeah, it's fun to kind of go back in time and realize where you came from, and people love it. They're like, oh, man, you should be first class and blah, blah, blah. So You're humble. Well, Diffie's always like, you got to step up your contract game, man. I'm like, <laughs> listen. I th- honestly, I think that, that that's a sign of good character, somebody that can be in either position, right? I mean, I, I, I feel like that some of my happiest days in my life were, were when – were some of my more simplest times, like mm-hmm. when I was a dealership service mechanic. You yeah. know, I wasn't making twenty thousand dollars a year, but things were simple and easy, yeah. and I had fun. And I could, I always felt like that if I had to go back, I could do it. Yeah. And I've always tried to not keep that too far away, right? Yeah. And so that that ability to make those adjustments, because the money train ends. It does. It don't last forever. A friend of mine that used to race in the Cup Series, him and his wife said that this past week. Yeah. The yeah. money train comes to an end. You yeah. better be able to make those adjustments. Exactly. When you you know when we're doing well and we're winning races, championships, and we're in our heyday, you know you you can just you don't really have any worries. But yeah. then when that when that pay train stops, and you still continue to have that lifestyle of what you had when you were winning all these races. It dries up real quick. Yeah. And uh, luckily for me, and and how I was raised and all that stuff, I you know I was able to to scale it back and uh you know there's something to be said for i always tell people this not always tell people this but i mention it sometimes some of my great friends in tallahassee that you know they just got a normal nine to five job they're happy you know they're content they know what they're going to have every single year and they're just rolling on through life man yeah. and they're enjoying themselves and there's something to be said for that for hmm. sure NASCAR history and heritage come alive at the NASCAR Hall of Fame. Celebrate my fellow inductees Donnie Allison, Jimmy Johnson, and Chad Knauss with their class of 2024 artifacts enshrined in the Hall of Honor. Don't miss the Ford Performance Showcase. It's a new inside NASCAR exhibit that showcases the Ford Mustang's next-gen car through its design and innovation. The latest edition of Glory Road explores over 75 years of racing history, with its cool 33-degree banking and 19 cars on display 
On Mondays and Fridays, there's guided tours that take you behind the scenes with incredible stories and access to a NASCAR Hall of Fame insider. Or you can explore the hall at your own pace with the new mobile hub. It's a digital experience. Get behind the wheel of a realistic iRacing simulator. Or you can learn how fast-paced pit stops work with the Pit Crew Challenge. From the legends who shaped the sport to the new heroes earning a spot in the record books, the NASCAR Hall of Fame delivers an unforgettable experience. Book your visit to the hall today at nascarhall.com. So let's start back. Where were you born? I was born in Clearwater, Florida. I was born in 1979. 1979. Good year. Yeah. Yeah. So what was the connection to, to motorcycles? My cousins would would ride once in a while. My dad was really close with their their dad, uh, Jason Overstreet, actually, and his his late brother. They they were riding, and my dad's like hey, just man. recreational, yeah, oh, uh, racing locally. Oh, really? Also, yeah, yeah, okay. in Dade City, Florida. That was where I did my first race. Raced there the first couple of years of my my uh, motocross career. My dad got me a motorcycle in, in 1985 on Valentine's Day of all things, and he got me this. Uh, Yamaha Trizinger. Y'all might have seen them back in the day, but they were those three-wheelers that there'd be outside of a uh, grocery store, and you put 25 cents in, and you get on it, and the thing would just be like you're riding a wave. You know, they had like a blue one with a red, or a blue one with a black seat, and like a yellow one with a red seat, or vice versa. And uh, so I started riding locally, you know, around around Central Florida, where I grew up, and uh, started racing locally. Then started racing regionally, then nationally, and uh, yeah, my amateur career. So basically, from '85 until I turned pro in '97 was my first season. It was every single weekend we were we were traveling somewhere: South Georgia, North Georgia, North Florida, anywhere around the Southeast. We we were going and racing. How old were you? I was five years old. All five, right. yeah, I was five years old when we started. At what time in your life is it reasonable to start looking at you? What At what age, I guess, is it reasonable to start looking at a rider and go, he's got something special? Yeah, eight eight years old, I really? would say. Yeah when I, was, yeah, when I was eight years old, I, I signed my first contract with a manufacturer, uh, Kawasaki. It was funny. I still got it. My mom still has it. Uh, I got $300 parts allowance. That, that was my first contract with Kawasaki. And I was with Kawasaki basically from my, uh, eight years old till I was 21 through 21. I ended up leaving them at the end of 2001. But uh, they had a great amateur program, one of the best amateur programs. What's great about it? What makes the program good? Well, uh, just their, their, their learning process and how they took care of their riders, their amateur riders, and yeah, everything about the, their development program. Okay. So you guys know how that that side of things are, and yeah, their development program was awesome. And then they you could segue into their pro team um, if you were doing well enough. So they just had the whole thing going on. What what does take care of drivers mean? You know how the support, the amount of support you get, whether it's how many bikes you get, parts bikes, you get, think, yeah, resources, okay. resources like that. So. Yeah, I signed my first contract with them when I was like eight years old, and we're, we're traveling all over the place. We're hitting all the big amateur nationals. There's probably five, six major amateur nationals a year, but you also can race every other weekend, like regionally and stuff like that. Uh, next thing you know, shoot, I'm getting 10, 12 bikes a year for free, you know, and then as I go to the race, 
the manufacturer actually bringing my race bikes. So we just showing up. Help me. I've watched off and on all my life. I've seen motocross and I've always wondered as I've seen, you know, guys like you and, and Jeremy Mm -hmm. and Stuart and others kind of come and dominate and, and then somebody else rises to the top. What is it about the individual that's making a difference? Like what's, what, how are you better than that guy that's running 15? I, I had a gift and I don't know what it was, but I, I, I knew at a very young age and realized at a very young age, the sacrifice my parents were making for me. And it was basically fire flight. And I, I, I played baseball, like little league and stuff. And I really loved that to me. And I, I still love it to this day. I remember my mom and dad telling me after one of my baseball games, like, okay, you've gotten to the point where you're doing well in racing and you're doing well over here. We don't care what you do, but you need to, you need to pick one because we can't afford to do both. And whichever one you pick, you're going to do it right or you're not going to do it at all. So that mentality, doing it right, not doing it all, I end up picking dirt bikes, not because I thought it was cool. And in fact, I used to be embarrassed, like when I was you know, 10, 11, 12, 13, going through school and all that stuff. People say, what do you do? I'm like, I ride motorcycles. I just, it it wasn't a cool thing Hmm. back then like it is now. And I I just, I was just, I I had this gift of, you know, knowing what my parents had done and, and I could see. And so basically I just, I raced for them. I don't even think I raced, I didn't race for myself. I really, I really, I really didn't. I, when I would win, I'd, yeah, I was happy for myself, but I was, I was more happy for them. And and really, from that young age, I just we we went to win. Yeah, we went to win or do your best. And most luckily, my best was we we were winning most of the time. But yeah, mm. I mean, but when you're on the track, mm-hmm. you know, and technique and all those things like how how is how does how does one guy and it's i know it's probably that this it factor mm-hmm. he put you you possess an ability you know guys we we talk in stock car racing the guy just has raw speed or he yeah. has a great feel or great yeah. car control and kyle bush can sort of run a car on the ragged edge where mm-hmm. another guy can beat him some days but he can't get to that edge all the time i i could run that edge yeah. i just had that need and the ability to go a little bit harder into the corner mm. and you know and just being hard-headed some bravery you know? yeah bravery and and not to the point where i was stupid right but you know like damn it you ain't beating me into this corner and then you're not going to beat me coming off of this corner yeah and you know for the start you know i'm i'm going to beat you there i'm going to do everything i can not, not, not to be cocky at all, but I just, it, I was, it was more out of stubbornness. Yeah, that makes sense. I think most normal people have that, uh, that their fear factor sort of kicks in at uh, like a seventy or something. If we were to apply a scale to it, whereas the people with the instincts where that fear factor doesn't really kick in until an eighty yeah. or an eighty-five, and they know where to still be able to keep it uh, in control. And yeah. I think that's what sets apart the greats, right? Instinctually, yeah. they can go further before. The, the normalcy of a human kicks in a hundred percent that that is like people will often come up to me and say man you almost crashed you, your bike was stepped out so far i'm like was it really <laughs> i said i i don't i don't remember feeling that yeah. and that's that's to your point someone that 
would shut off at a 70% fear factor, you know, and I'm willing to go to 85, whatever yeah. it might be, that's what gets you. And then you guys know at that level makes a big difference. And that maybe that's how it was. It is for Kyle or guys that drive on the edge. Yeah. Oh. What? So you talked about the bikes, um, mm -hmm. being with, being with Kawasaki for all those years, what deter, I mean, are, do the bikes and their performance ebb and flow as far as the manufacturers? Because, you know, we see it in, like, F1's a great example yeah. where McLaren's got the upper hand for many years and, mm -hmm. you know, somebody will develop a new car, Ferrari or whoever, right? And we have it also, I guess, in, in stock cars with the organizations yep. where Hendrick is on top for a while. They seem to be the dominant team last year, and then another team will come in and have a run. Are the manufacturers pretty much straight equal, or is there times when – man, I'm on this bike, but this guy, he's got this bike and he's got an advantage. Yeah. So, yeah, they, they go, you know, they, they kind of rotate a little bit now with how precise tooling and dime is now and machinery, everything's much more efficient and close. So that that definitely helps things. Bikes are a lot closer. You can get on a Kawasaki, you can win. You can get on a KTM, you can win. You can get on a Suzuki, you can win. You can get on a Honda and you can win. They both do things really well. Uh, they, they, they all have some things that they could be a little bit better at, mm -hmm. but for the most part, nowadays, they're all good enough to win on. And some have maybe have their advantages, but you can get on any bike and win. Give me some examples of what you do to a bike to make it handle. Okay. So I feel like I'm, I'm going to try to parallel this for you. Imagine, yeah. me, imagine like a big block. How you just, they're so like throaty and torquey and you put the power to the ground and you get on something light and, you know, like an F1 car be like, you feel like you'd be riding on ice. Yeah. For me, I feel like when you, you're able to have an engine package that you can put the power to the ground, it's going to make the suspension handle well. It's going to make the chassis feel good. So that was kind of like, and every rider is different. You know, some guys like more top end some guys like low rpm torque which is what i liked i like my stuff to be really snappy i love to have a lot of bottom end as far as setup goes chassis wise some guys like the bike to to set nice and neutral some guys we call it choppered out some guys like to have the rear end up really yeah yeah depending on what so you know, a platform could yeah, be adjusted plat platform can be adjusted and we call it sag so you, if you run less sag that means the rear end is going to be a little bit higher you, you have less preload on the motorcycle and you put preload on it sorry when you put preload on it it'll it'll get it gets higher it's reverse so you tighten the spring down the back end comes up you loosen the spring take less preload yeah. off it it lowers down myself i like it liked it my myself to be really choppered out just because i was smaller um and i, I felt like i had more control of the motorcycle when it was a little bit a little bit lower now i would lose travel you know in the in, in the rear end because of it being so low and so I, that would create like on big jumps and stuff, a lot rougher ride. Bottom out, yeah. yeah. Bottom out, you just run out of travel, and you know, once a, once a shock or spring gets to the very bottom, there ain't but one way <laughs> for it to go, <laughs> and that's up. So, that yeah, hurt? I mean, there's so many things that uh, it's not too bad. Not I bad. mean, there, yeah, there's so many things you can do, just like you, you know, with yeah. suspension. I mean, you guys have four ways where we we have the 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 shock the shock and the fork. Uh, we have adjustability like fork height. You can slide the fork tubes up and down in the clamps. You can change the angle. You can change the the race as far as you can move the, you can keep the same angle in the front wheel 
and front 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 wheel, but you could move it further and back, creating less you. trail. Yeah, yeah, creating less trail. That's so interesting. Yeah, yeah, and and it's a lot of fun. It's yeah. a lot of fun. And the crazy thing is when when we went from steel chassis to aluminum chassis, that experience for me was a lot of fun. And and, and I'm very thankful for the years that I grew up racing in in motocross and supercross because I got to go from steel chassis to aluminum chassis and I got to go from two stroke to four stroke and it was such a learning experience and today a lot of the tricks and fun things that we used to do especially to the aluminum chassis to get them to flex a little bit more not be so rigid they have they have implemented all of those onto the production models so a lot of those tricks and trades that uh, that we did back then have our our own production now it was crazy man we would we'd have these engine hangers and they could change them by a millimeter and it would take the bike to where you couldn't ride it or it would be like oh man this is perfect yeah i mean a freaking millimeter it was unbelievable can you remember an uh, uh a race where your your bike was just like not you know you'd miss oh, yeah. the setup yeah like so 2003 i go back to 2003 uh let's see here yeah, 2003 really stands out in my head. We're, I was on factory Honda at the time. Our engine package wasn't that great, so it, it affected the chassis. And what I mean by that is we had no low RPM torque, and it was all top end. So you had to ride it really high in the RPM and use a lot of clutch. Well, and then when you do that to try to get it coming out of the corners, then you're lighting up the rear tire. You know, you just couldn't ride that thing in low RPM. So when the tire's spinning, then the suspension isn't working well. And then my competitors at the time, Chad Reed, Australian kid, his his bike was, it was, it was a dream, you know. But that year was just absolutely miserable. Hated going to the races. Couldn't fix it. No, nah, couldn't fix it. And in fact, the um, Japanese engineers came over from Japan to our test facility out in California, Honda's test facility. They all have private tracks out there. And they basically told me that, and we were still on two strokes at the time. He just basically said, we can't, we can't give you what, what you want with our engine package. He says, your best bet is you probably should try our four stroke. I'm like, man, rarely do you hear Japanese engineers basically conceding and saying, we can't get that for you. You know, yeah. they'll try everything. And they were, but just their, their engine package that they had and how the exact exhaust valves were, they weren't going to be able to get it. So what'd you do? Um, well, we limped it through and then, um, we got on the four stroke. And we so got on four forgive stroke. my ignorance. So you could run a four stroke against two strokes. You can, and you in, could, yeah. and do you, can you do that now? You, you can, but the technology and four strokes have come so far, you know, back in the day, they, they, they felt heavy, how the inertia was and just the technology in general was just behind well, over the last 10 years, they put so much time and effort in them to get them to handle the same way as a two-stroke did. I mean, the biggest complaint was, you know, oh, they feel so heavy and they're not nimble enough. So they just they just worked and worked and worked on it to have, have the power, the low end torque, but still have that nimbleness to it. You said this uh, this down season was 2003, right? Yeah. Did your perfect seasons not book in that year? Like, did, wasn't your perfect seasons 2002 mm-hmm. and 2004? Mm-hmm. So, also, had you not just switched manufacturers? Yeah, so 2002, 2003, 2004, I was at Factory Honda. Okay, so, and I want to hear that story, because, yes. like, I think that's a, that's a pivotal point in your career. But at the mm-hmm. same time, if you're 
if you just had a perfect season in 2002 and then you, as you describe it, like y'all could not figure this out in 2003 and you didn't even want to go to the track, no. like that has to be quite dejecting, uh, confusing, and I wonder if it made you start questioning things uh, no. even after a remarkable season like you just had. Yeah, I mean, and we won. Oh, so, so you have Supercross Championship, Motocross Championships. Very confusing to to the casual fan. Like, wait, there's two championships in a season? So it's, it's two forms of racing. And I always explain it like it's basically the road courses of NASCAR. You know, so imagine you guys race on ovals for 17 rounds, and then you have a 12-round road course series. You know, and, and, and at the end, it's a grand national championship. So that's what ours are. And I won both. I won the Supercross championship, barely. And then I won the Outdoor Motocross championship, barely. Now, Motocross was a lot easier for me just because the harder you work, the better you do. You don't have to rely on talent so much. So if, if you're willing to hang it out and work your tail off, you're going you're gonna to have a great, great chance to do well. But, yeah, I was like – I was – so focused already on 2004 and how are we going to get this bike better for 2004 because i know there's no shot we're going to win in 2004 if we're on the same bike so these so the japanese engineer comes out in uh, like september of 2003 to start getting ready for 2004 and that's when he said hey we can't do that there's no shot we're going to be able to get this for you and then i ended up running the the four stroke at at the testing track and i rode it loved it i'm like man this is what i'm looking for Mm. yes it's not as nimble but i think we can i think because the horsepower advantage is so good and i can put the power to the ground i feel like it'll make up for its lack of being able to maneuver it well changing directions that's right that's important yeah you, and you really had to plan further ahead you know so you're going through this rhythm rhythm section interesting you, and you just you plan early you know plan oh, early yeah you had to really focus ahead so this is the <laughs> that i want to know yeah, yeah. it's like the, no, it's the, fascinating yeah. homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping it's never just about the house or condo it's about the home And what makes a home is more than just the house or the property, it's the location and neighborhood, Dalton. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. And when we say in-depth, we're talking deep in-depth. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood, complete with a video guide. They also have details about local schools with test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, a home, this is everything you need to know all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. I always thought of motocross and supercross as, like you said, the outdoor. Mm-hmm. I always, I know that supercross is in stadiums and then yeah. some of them are not indoors, but I always mm-hmm. thought of it as an indoor-outdoor. That was the way I sort of yeah. uh, determined between the two. But mo- And motocross tracks are are bigger, longer, um, a lot more elevation changes where, uh, supercross is, is pretty, pretty much a flat course and it's tight confined space. What is the different technique? What's the difference in tech? Do you ride them the same? Yeah. So timing is everything in supercross. I mean, it is, it is a talent driven discipline of dirt bike racing. Everything is so tight every single weekend that they go to the track. It's a new course. 
they had the same obstacles, but they're in different configurations. Wow, I didn't know that. Yeah, and then, yep, so they, they get out there, they have a warm-up practice, which is about eight minutes, and then they have two other eight-minute practices after that. So these guys learn it within probably four or five laps, and then they're just putting in cue laps every mm. single time after that. So that's the difference between Supercross. I mean, you it, precision is everything. You have to be precise, articulate, and you have to plan ahead where outdoor motocross, I mean, you can just, you can bulldog it. You know, the, the harder you ride, the better you're going to go. There are cer certain areas where you need to pull back just a little bit and adjust, adjust your lines that if you go a little bit slower in certain areas, it'll be faster on the stopwatch. Um, but that's, that's basically the difference and, and outdoor motocross and the lap times are different also. So in supercross being in a stadium, I'd say average lap is 50 seconds. Outdoor motocross is probably two minutes. Yeah. It's like, you know, riding in the natural terrain, uphills, downhills, and uh, yeah, and the speeds, obviously the top speeds are considerably higher. Back in the day, my impression of the two was that supercross was kind of the, the, the rock star or the top of the mountain. Is that true? Yeah, Supercross now is the pinnacle. Yeah. Supercross now is the pinnacle. And that's, I feel like times change. And I hear you, I you know, I, I watch you on your, you know, the Instagrams and the Twitter. And, and I feel like NASCAR needs to be shorter. I feel like the races with the world that we live in today, people mm -hmm. don't have the, the bandwidth or don't want to spend the time to sit around there for four or five hours. Yeah. You know, and, and I feel like, motocross is going through a transition like stock car racing is and we got to do something to cater to these the younger demographic that don't have the bandwidth to do stuff or sit there and and put in that time and so that's why i think supercross is has surpassed motocross and it's and it's sad because motocross is what is, is basically how supercross was founded this right. is where it came from europe this you know it originated in europe and then came to the states so now Supercross is, a, it's a show, but it's fun. We go to big cities. It's easy to get to. You can bring your sponsors. You can get suites in these beautiful stadiums. So it makes sense. It makes sense. And uh, it's, it is the pinnacle. Yeah. You can ask any kid what, what, what that races dirt bikes. You say, hey, man, what championship do you want to win? They're going to tell you Supercross yeah. championship. Well, motocross seems like more of a purist it is. origin sort of core. You know, core, yeah. Mm -hmm. When you're racing, when you're switching back and forth, is it as challenging as maybe like racing a, a truck and an Xfinity car at the same racetrack in the same weekend? I know you're not doing the same events on the same weekend in motocross and supercross back in the day, but how challenging, I guess, was it to, to switch back and forth? Oh, it, was, uh, it, it wasn't that bad because we only did, we did supercross and then we did motocross. So split in half. Yeah. So split the year. That's and right. Once once Supercross was over in May. So you could so focus yep. solely. That's right. Gotcha. That's right. That's right. How, how, so it wasn't bad. And motocross I, was always easy for me. So. I know you've dealt with a bunch of injuries over your career. What part of your body is getting beaten up the worst? I feel like everyone is different. I think you either have bum bum shoulders or bum knees. Yeah. For me, I was fortunate. My shoulders were good, but I did I had both of my ACLs repaired. So how did your ACLs get damaged? I never even crashed when I did my left one or my right one. That's the crazy thing. How does it happen? <laughs> so my right one, I was 13 years old. I came up short on a jump, like a double jump. When I come up short, 
boom, like my lower leg just went forward and my, my, my femur bone stayed, stayed there and wow. And and I couldn't, I had to go, I had to run it for three years. I couldn't have it repaired till I was 16 because my growth plates had to close before they could repair my ACL. (laughs) So that was, yeah, I want to say that was 93, 94. And then I tore my, I tore my left ACL. I was coming out of a corner is it super cross track? This is when the uh, Japanese engineer was there, and we were trying to figure out what the heck we were going to do for the 2004 series. I come out of this corner, I just caught my toe, just caught my toe, and it twisted my Ooh. twisted my foot sideways. Pow! On I the ground? Uh, yeah, I was coming out of the yeah. corner, and my toe laid was over. on the foot peg. I was laid yeah. over just a little bit. Oh my god! And it just it just it just just, just yeah, just that quick. Pow! And I knew instantly. I'm like, oh, this isn't good. So it hurt for about two minutes. It felt like it was on fire. And then um, I pull off and I'm like, man, my knee, I hurt my knee. I said, but I think it's okay. I was wishful thinking. <laughs> yeah. And I, we ended up finishing out testing and I got home the next week and I, and I had an MRI like, no, your, your ACL shot. So I didn't say anything. I heard. Yeah, yeah, yeah I didn't say anything. And I'm like, <laughs> man, okay, we're going we're gonna to try to run this thing. And my goal was, and I was up for a, a contract year, so I knew that. And I was trying to re-up with Honda to go 2005, six, and seven. That's, that's, that's what I wanted to do. And um, I was like, okay, I'm gonna try to get through the Supercross season 2004 on this four stroke. And then I'm gonna take off the outdoor series because I feel like the outdoor series, you know, with the high speeds and things like that, I would I would have more of a chance of doing more damage to my knee. I'm like, there's no shot I'm gonna be able to make it through that that series. And let's see, I tore it in September of 2003, and it was like right before um, Thanksgiving 2003, I was in the air um, on a supercross track, and I was just gripping my bike in the in midair, just like you know, just applying pressure on the outside of the gas tank. Knee pops out in midair, and uh, I couldn't get it back in and I pull over and like I ride back to the test track and I'm, I'm sitting there and like now I'm, now I'm in tears because I know like now we're to the point I, I, I have to have this thing fixed. So there goes my season. So be like you, you guys test, test, test. And then, you know, you, you hurt yourself and you can't drive the first 10 races and you're screwed for the for the series after all that hard work and you know you had a good chance to win so it's pretty emotional so i got there and i'm like hey guys i didn't tell you guys this but my acl's been torn for a couple months and i was going to try to make it through supercross and i mean i had all the all the like all the team members around suspension engineers chassis engineers engine guys and uh, i just said yeah, I'm sorry. I said I was going to try to make it through Supercross, and I I can't do it. So I have to have this thing. I have to have this thing fixed. So I took off. Uh, it was four months, and then uh, we I came and raced the outdoor motocross series that year, and I won. I came back and freaking won every race, man. <laughs> <laughs> so when we you get an injury like that and get a re, get it repaired, where's mm-hmm. your? How do you build the confidence that it's good? Yeah, it's funny. I so. You almost want to like test it out right. and like like dangle your foot in the dirt and like <laughs> you, you, you want to do it but you don't want to do it. It's yeah. like is this thing gonna hold? So you start back riding after the four month mark. You know you get the clearance to get back out there, ease into it, and really you just 
it, it has to happen so fast you can't be thinking about it. But then when it does and you don't have any pain and you didn't tear anything else, you're like, okay, I'm good now. Yeah. Right. I remember a couple of times, like when I first started going, like the first weeks back, and I was being extra careful with how I was going around the left-hand corners or where my foot was on the foot pegs, you know, the, the right placement so it wouldn't catch my toe. And uh, I remember dr- riding back to the shop sometimes when we were done doing whatever we were doing on the track, and I would like dangle and let my toe hit the ground just at a really low speed, just like kind of testing it. Probably wasn't doing anything, but in my mind, I thought I was. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, do. I think it's just you have to have that type of situation, and it needs to hold up. And if it does, you're like, shoot, man, I'm good. But you came back in four months from ACL surgery. Yeah, yeah. four months. So. Mike's we, had we, a Mike blew yeah, his ACL. I, I'm Did comparing you? notes. So he's just had this experience. My story wasn't nearly as cool yeah. as yours, though. Uh-uh. Uh, I tore it because uh, I, I was old and out of shape. But that, but, but like the fact is that maybe that explains my answer. That's also why it probably took a little longer than four months. Yeah. But, but when I remember when I tore my ACL, though, I could do things mm-hmm. in four months. I mean, like when you go through physical therapy, which I'm assuming you yeah. did, oh, yeah. right? The 100%. physical therapy was oh, pretty yeah. rigorous, I would assume, oh, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. All right, so. But could you have like run a forty yard dash or anything like that? Like, was your were you fully back in four months? Fully back. That's I started impressive. riding at three and a half or three and three quarters, but I was after the four month mark. I was your full noise. Do whatever you want. Yeah, I was still milking my injury in three and a half. Yeah, months. I mean yeah. most most people, you know, it's like six four to six months. Yeah. Or now it's six to eight. I think they probably <laughs> personal protection. You know what I mean? Doctors like here. You just hang tight for like six to eight months, but uh, I think athletes are able to right. to get it going. <laughs> that's, that, that's the difference, <laughs> you know. And 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 I think and, and for me, like yeah, we're we're on our feet, we're moving around, but I feel like football. They probably want that six month, you know, because they're pivoting Beating and doing. And on each you know what I mean? Hard, yeah. yeah, yeah. So I think it's sports sports specific related. You talked about being with. Kawasaki for over a decade Mm -hmm. how difficult was it to make the decision to to leave I was it it was really really difficult you know I'm I've been very loyal my whole career it was tough you've been with them for so long but um, in 2001 I was able to beat Jeremy McGrath and he's got more records in Supercross that no one will ever touch that there's just no shot 72 wins seven championships and uh, when I did when when I beat him in 2001, Honda was actually they they talked to me before the series even starts. Said, "Hey, we wanna we know your contract is up after 2001. Before anything happens, even if you don't win, we we want to hire you for 2002." Who does Jeremy ride with? Uh, he was with uh, Yamaha at the okay. time. Yeah, he was with Yamaha at the time. And I'm like, man, all right. And so. My management company and all, we, we were like, what do, you, what do you think? Like, all right, well, let's just see what they have to offer. And they came to us a week later and just gave, gave us an outstanding offer. I'm like, wow, this is unbelievable. And so that, that definitely caught my attention, but I still was, I felt loyal. I needed, I needed to show my loyalty to Kawasaki. And uh, we're winning all these races, we're doing well, and we're living the dream. I'm like, it, it, it was it was clear that I was going to win the Supercross Championship, you know, the pinnacle of the sport. And um, it came to a point where I wasn't signing my Honda deal, and they basically they gave me a deadline. I said, listen, you don't sign it on, in two days. We're going to retract the offer. Mm. And uh, I end up signing. Did you take your deal to Kawasaki? Yeah, yeah, they all had first rights. And what'd they say about it? 
they uh <laughs> they they weren't happy they weren't happy it it, it was and they couldn't match nah, it they, but they, they had first say, rights to match it yeah and they couldn't yeah they just they never even gave me an offer you know well sometimes you just know yeah i mean they, they just knew and it, it was bad so that whole process was really a bummer because i went up at the last supercross race and and i wanted to tell my team manager i said hey i wanted to tell you man to man like this is why i'm doing this i know that i in 2002 i have to be on something better and i know that we probably aren't going to have anything better and this is the reasons that I'm doing this. And now, prior to this conversation, uh, Honda came to my 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 facility in South Georgia, and uh, we they let me ride the motorcycle, so I knew what I was going to be on. Yeah. So that was pretty that was pretty <laughs> cool. And uh, I'm like, man, this thing is nice, you know. And we were we were back to back in it on what I currently had had, and I definitely there was a lot more potential there. So at the end of the day, I, I feel like I could have stayed at Kawasaki but, and, and pushed the issue, but I knew I didn't want to be there, so I'm, I'm kind of glad that they didn't, they didn't match it. But it was tough, man. That was one of the biggest, biggest moves of my life. Um, it was a great contract at the same time. You know, it was, um, I mean, basically, I mean, just being frank. So if you won the Supercross championship, the manufacturer would pay you 500 grand as a win, as a championship bonus. And uh, um, Honda was offered me, say, we'll, we'll give you a million bucks if you win the Supercross championship. Yeah. So I'm like, like me at that time, I was only 21. I was like, wow, man. You're doing that. Yeah, I'm doing it. Anybody, That's real money. Everybody's doing and that. And it was a three-year, yeah. yeah, three um, there was no contract clause in it. And this will eventually get to why when we left Honda, why I left Honda. So yeah, I had no entry clause. So it was basically guaranteed. I think my salary was one and a half per year. I think it went to two the, on the third year. I believe it was. It was it was nice, very the, lucrative. The, the salary from the team mm-hmm. is that plus your manufacturer signing. Yeah. The crazy thing about about motocross supercross racing is the the manufacturers carry a lot of the burden is financially they pay your salary they pay your win bonus per race win bonuses and then they pay your championship bonuses they pay everything the manufacturer does that's that's, that's interesting incredible. Yeah. it's crazy now compared they, to nascar compared to what we're, that, other, this is why i'm asking yeah. because you know just in ter- terms of the financial model <clears throat> the differences um seem that was just very intriguing, frankly. Um, you want me to tell you a, a crazy story? This is going to blow your guys' mind. Do it. So in my short-lived four-wheel career, okay, what, two and a half years of trucks, handful of Xfinity races, I made more money in winnings than I did from, from the AMA, American Motorcycle Association. I made five hundred grand with all my wins from – from the sanctioning body, and I made that in NASCAR in two and a half years. Yeah, and I won a lot in dirt bike racing. Oh, yeah. So you can't, you can't, you can't make a living in motocross off the of winnings. the purses. On the winnings, off the pur- on, purses. On purses, on purses is what I meant. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah. five hundred grand, and then yeah. What's the model today? The same? It hadn't changed. Yeah. It hadn't changed like twenty five years, maybe a little bit, but nothing to nothing to mention. It's tough. Yeah. It's tough. So. Can you imagine? I, Talk it's to wrong. Me. So it is, you think it should be different? I think it should be a bit different. How how different? What'd you I do? think I think that the I think the purses should be a little bit bigger, you know, from the from the promoters. Somebody's making money. Yeah. 
somebody's making money. But, mm. you know, but hey, at the same time, if it wasn't for them, we wouldn't have no place to race. Right. So how many guys are going to start the Supercross race? 22. 22. How many of those, are all of those factory riders? No. How uh, many are? Probably 12 guys. 12? 12 guys. Half the field? Half the field. What are the, guy, what are the other guys doing? They're, they're privateers. Now, they're meal piecing it together. They're independent. Independent. Really? Yep, they're independent. What's their chance? Uh, it's tough. I mean, they're making a decent, they're, ma- oh, I say a decent, I mean, for the risks that they take, they're not making enough, but I bet they're probably 150 grand. What are they, where are they finishing? 12th on back. No, they're not beating no, a factory guy. they ain't beating a factory. So they're earning not 150, the how much are they spending? I, I think at the end of the day, they're making 150. Oh, okay. I don't know, yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, they're they're clearing it because they're they're getting their bikes for free. They're getting their gear for free. They're just they're, they're, they're having not, to pay trap. They're, they're, they're it's subsidized by sponsorship. Okay, but but you're saying they're getting their bikes for free, but they're not factory. No, they're not factory. No, no, no. no. This, so it. it'd be I wouldn't know how to parallel it in your guys' yeah. in stock car world. Can a guy ride in the Supercross and and show out really well as an independent and be, get the factory ride, mm-hmm. or or the factory guys brought in from? from from motocross or somewhere else yeah so most of the factory guys are brought in from like like my route you know all these manufacturers have amateur programs Mm -hmm. and they just move up up the ladder and then they they segue into from the amateur program into the professional program like a lot of amateur kids towards the tail end of their year uh, tail end of their contracts they'll sign like a four-year deal where they're two years in amateur and then they get their first two years of professional, you know, they get that, mm-hmm. that locked up. And that's really what you need, two or three years of guaranteed for your first three right. years. So that's, that's what they're doing. So most of the factory guys are, they, they've come up and they've been, they've been factory along right. or had great support. There are, there are some guys out there that did it on their own and got a chance and made it happen. But uh, it, it's really rare. Yeah, very rare. It, it was. Uh, I would assume that that Honda championship bonus or whatever the bonus program mm-hmm. was was unprecedented at that yeah. time. Has there ever been anything like that since? Well, to your knowledge? Yeah, yeah. Since yeah, now it is. Now the per race wins. So the per race wins. When I was racing for Honda, I get fifty grand. Now they're hundred thousand if you win. So these guys, okay, these going to but. What the manufacturers are doing now, and I know this because Carrie Hart and I had a race team together, and um, <laughs> that we are uh, they, they um, they're insured, so we go high, get uh, insurance policies to cover the insurance. It's crazy. You go get them though. Yeah, we go get it. So championship, um, like championship bonuses, two three hundred grand premium, and now the the. The insurance companies, ha- there's like an algorithm. So you pay the two or 300,000 premium for a million and a half payout for the championship. Right. But if certain riders are in the championship, your rider that you're paying insurance on has to win X amount of, so give me an example. So you're racing the Cup Series and your your championship's going to be ten million dollars, and your premium's going to be two million. Okay, if Jimmy's in there, Smoke's in there, you, you only have to win two races, and you win the championship. They pay, they pay out. If Smoke and Jimmy ain't in there, then you got to win six races. 
for the insurance company to pay out. I got you. It's so I mean, and they 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 got it down, and it's it's like right there. So, Carrie Hart and I, we we had Ken Roxon. He's a German kid, extremely fast, one of the most talented guys I've ever seen on a motorcycle. And it got to the point where we had a chance to win the Supercross Championship at the last race in Vegas. It was going to take some luck. Ryan Dungey ended up winning. I mean, Dungey was going to have to get like dead last and Ken would would have had to win would have been the scenario but Ken had to win six races that year and he had only won um he had only won four Mm. so it's almost like you're going into this last round and you it's like financially like man we want him to win the championship but if he does we're out our premium plus right the million it's right. crazy, man. That is that is <laughs> it's crazy. Nuts. It's yeah. backwards. Yeah. It's and backwards. They, and, and you're right. They probably have that figured out. Like casinos oh, yeah. have it figured out that if we get them to spend this much money, and they're the chances of them winning or losing. I mean, like, what is your odds? Like, well, you know yeah. what's silly is that this is how divided. This is what I always loved about when I went into stock car racing, and I'm like, man, everyone for the most part, they're in. They're in for the greater of the good. Like, we're going to protect everyone. Like the manufacturer's championship or whatever. So there's only one guy that's going to win the Supercross championship. But every single team is paying the same insurance agent, insurance company, that premium for their star riders. Oh, my God. So it's like, why don't I, – I, I, had, I had an idea, Carrie and I did. Like, dude, why don't we just carry the insurance? That's right. I knew you were going there. Right. right? right. I'm like, why don't we just put up the million and a half and then we'll have – Honda pay us two two hundred per rider, two hundred per rider, and we'll make a couple hundred grand. Right. You know, but because of <laughs> yeah, because of like regulation and stuff like that, we we couldn't do it. But in like it's so crazy because all these manufacturers, and then we were a private team, you know. So we had to before we spent a dollar, we had to earn a dollar. We're all paying for the same championship that only one guy is going to win. It's crazy. It's crazy. Good Lord. Picture this. It's blazing hot outside and you need to head to work. You get into your car and turn on the AC to get the cold air pumping as soon as possible, but it doesn't work. Instead, blowing hot air out of your vents and directly into your face. No, your car doesn't hate you. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the air conditioning system, and there's an easy all-in-one solution that will restore your cold air in no time. There's no need to go to the shop and pay lots of money when you can save time and money recharging yourself with AC Pro Recharge Kits. AC Pro Recharge Kits make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience. And the AC Pro app offers clear, vehicle-specific instructions to help you get the job done in less than 10 minutes. So pick up an AC Pro Recharge Kit at any store selling auto products and confidently restore your car's cold air yourself today. Be a pro with AC Pro. How do you decide to, to quit? I had been very fortunate throughout my career where I didn't have a lot of injuries and didn't have to take a substantial amount of time off where a lot of, a lot of, a lot of kids do, you know, they, they take months and months off. And the only time that I had gotten to take off is when I had my knee repaired and didn't race 2004 Supercross series is actually a blessing in disguise because it gave me that extra years, 2005, six and partial, uh, 2007. So it was, let's see here, 2005. And um, Casey Kane's manager had reached out to me. 
um, at the time and said, hey, uh, Casey's a fan and, you know, he'd love to meet you. And so they ended up coming to a race. And then as they came to a race, um, they, at, you know, talks had kept progressing like, hey, would you ever want to ride, uh, uh, drive a stock car? I'm like, well, heck yeah. And at this time, I like, I know, like I can see, I can see light at the end of the tunnel. I had signed with Suzuki. I had my exit strategy. I knew where I was going. So um, I'm like, yeah, man, let's do it. So a long story short, I go to drive Everham's late model. He had a development guy right, driving at the time. I can't remember who it was for the life of me, but went to Hickory. And uh, that was in, yeah, that was in 2005, I believe, 2004, 2005, in the summer there. And uh, man, I loved it. I absolutely loved it. That was really kind of what sparked it off. And from that point on, we started looking towards the future, and I knew what my exit strategy was on two wheels. So at, from that moment on, things started to progress. Well, as that's going on, those last two years, and you guys stop me if, if I'm, I'm rambling, but... Gibbs wants to have a moto team. So JD calls me. He tells me, you know, what, what they'd like to do. He's asking me all these questions. And, and uh, so he's like, hey, you should probably come up to Charlotte. So I come up to Charlotte, and we have some conversations. And then and Coach met. They took me to lunch and, and all that fun stuff. So I got those uh, Coach and JD. And um, I don't think Coy was there. But um, – is me and my manager and we're going through things and they're like hey you think you could get uh you know suzuki to sponsor our effort and if you did that then we'll put you in the development program you know two or three year two or three year deal whereas um i would fall in line i think logano was on the development program and then they had another guy after him and then i was supposed to fall in line after that things start to progress but at the same time my management company knew Bobby Ginn. So everyone knows in your guys' world how that all went down. One thing leads to another. I end up going and meeting with Bobby Ginn, and he tells me, hey, I'm, I'm going to purchase was MB2. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is our goals. These are the drivers we're going to have, and we'd like to, you know, like to have you come aboard. We think it'd be fun, and we'll, we'll run you out of Mark Martin's shop for uh, the late model efforts, get you some seat time. He's in Florida. You're in Florida. It just makes sense. I could start driving instantly with him. The Gibbs thing, I, I, I didn't have that opportunity. I was waiting in line, and I just felt at the time like I needed to start. If I wanted to make this a reality, I needed to start driving right then and there. And then, of course, like Mark Martin mentoring me and helping me with the late model stuff. I mean, it just seemed like a no-brainer. Right. I wasn't going to have that at Gibbs. And then financially, it was pretty good. So I went that route. Did you know that Jeremy uh, raced our late model? I did. Yeah. I did. I don't even remember what year that was. It would have been about 06, 07. So you yeah. you ran a late model before him? I, I did. A, it was in 2005. Yeah. yeah. I was wondering if either yeah. one of y'all had ever had conversations about that. We, we probably did. Yeah. It was, it was like, kind of weird because I almost feel like Jeremy, I'm not going to say he was copying me. But right. It's like, <laughs> how like, all of a sudden, like, wait a minute, you've been retired for a while. Right. But now I'm wanting to do this, and you're flying back to Charlotte every yeah. weekend. Yeah. I felt like that one had one had started started it. the other, or yeah. one had knowing the timeline now. Yeah, I think that you sparked his interest, where he was like, "Oh, I'm gonna try that." 
Yeah. That might be fun. Might be. I, I, I don't know, but that's that's how I started. But then I, I completely forgot about him yeah. driving a late model I remember, T. You, yeah. you said that. And honestly, I was I was a little jealous. Like, I'm not a jealous person. I'm like, I was like, dang, man, how did he get how did he get that opportunity? Yeah. But yeah, How I did mean, he get he that just, opportunity? I, yeah. He just called, and we said, yeah, come. <laughs> we went to test. <laughs> uh-huh. We took him and went to test. I went over the Tri-County Speedway with him, mm-hmm. and I drove the car a little bit, and then he drove it. And then uh, – I think he ran two races or a handful of it was very short-lived yeah and he was he was only down here a couple times great guy oh yeah we had a great time with him oh, yeah. but um but after a couple races it was like he, he his attention yeah. went elsewhere mm-hmm. and uh and that was that but we, we were, i was we were happy to do it but you you were much more you know committed plugged in oh, yeah you made the decision and you dove in head first yeah and and yeah so did gin's deal and that was good, and then wheels fall off, fell off of that. So I had Monster. That was that. That was my. Pe- they were they were my people. Still today, we're we are partners, and I'll forever be thankful. I've been with them since basically the inception of Monster Energy. Yeah. Uh, Two thousand four or five, I think. And um, everything went sideways again. That ended, and then I got an opportunity. Monster's like, hey, what do you want to do the next year? And then. I ended up doing the East series and I, I rode for, I drove for Schrader. It was freaking awesome, man. I love that dude. T- time out though. What happened again? What, what went sideways again? Yeah. The whole the thing whole it went up in. Yeah. <laughs> I think, I think Bobby, I think Bobby's Is investors why? said, Hey, um, we're out of money, we're, we're out of money and we're going to quit giving you money if you don't sell this race. I don't remember. Team. I, that's how Ginn ended. He huh? had the resorts, right? And he was oh, funding right. all, he was buying and funding everything. And he was like, Hey man, we're, this is not going to work financially. You got to stop. So he had to, that was it. Racing ended. Yeah. All right. Okay. That's so right. you went to Schrader, went to Schrader and I ran the East series and, uh, did pretty well, did pretty well. got a pole at South Boston, can't remember what I got overall in the series, but the crazy thing was the the dudes that I was racing at the time, Austin Dillon, mm. Trevor Bain, <laughs> Jeffrey, I want to say Almarolo was in there. Probably. Was he for the DEI's uh, development? Yeah, I, I actually right. flew up and met with DEI one time with Mark. I flew up and we were going to, because I had the monster money and, um, we had a meeting, and uh, anyhow, it didn't, obviously yeah. it didn't work out. And it, I'm I'm glad that I drove for Schrader because it was just I, I had a hell of a time. It was oh. so much fun, and I learned a lot. Yeah. I felt like he gave me so much advice that I could bring along. So, race the East Series. That would have been 2008, I believe. Yeah, 2008. And I'm sitting in Charlotte Airport, and I get a call from Kevin Harvick, and he says, <laughs> "Hey, man." Uh, what's happening next year? I've been watching you on the East Series, and I ran good at Loudon too. I think it was shortly after Loudon. I think I got fourth at Loudon that year. And um, he says, "What are you doing next year?" He says, "We'd love to have you drive for for our truck team." I'm like, "Man, that's awesome!" So I contact Monster, and we fly out, or we meet with with everyone at uh, KHI, and. They say, hey, this is what it's going to take for the full year, but this is what we think you need to do. And uh, I ended up rush, running a partial schedule. Yeah, that was it. That was it. So at the, after that, that was 2009, after that, they're like, hey, this is what it's going to cost to run the next year full time. So that would have been 2010, 2011, 
and uh, monster's like well we we just have this much so you need to you need to figure out what you're going to do with this much we'd really like to see you in the full series so this at this time now steve turner starts a, a race race car team mm-hmm. and um he was going to be an alliance with khi and kevin hooked me up with him says hey he'll run you the full series for the money that you have and mm-hmm. then i went and we did a two-year deal there with with steve which steve was always great to me and um it was a great experience for sure and that's uh basically that was how that got going went good did some good things ran ran good some good good at some places i think the highlights of it is i got fourth at talladega fourth at dover i got the pole at atlanta led a bunch of laps at martinsville i absolutely loved martinsville uh, because of the timing, you know, on the brakes, off the brakes, gas, it really brought me back to, to Supercross yeah. and having to be, have that precision and timing and braking. And if you didn't brake right or didn't let off right at the right time, you paid consequences. You know, there are consequences, as you yeah. know. So this is what gets into the next fun thing. At the end of my two-year deal at Turner, uh, Monster comes to me and says, hey, we're going to sponsor Kyle Bush's nationwide team i'm like all right and then they're like we want you to be the driver of the other the races that he doesn't do so however many xfinity races there was at the time let's just say well how many are there no- normally dale xfinity in, races. In, a, in a full season yeah. 36 or 36 so like he was gonna do let's just say 13 for kbm somewhere around there and i was gonna do the remainder and uh I'm like, man, this is an incredible opportunity. Got a great mentor. Guy knows how to drive. Everything's good. We're sitting in uh, a parking lot. My manager and I, now my best friend, he does all my stuff now. And he's um, talking with Rick Wren and like, okay, had all the financials set and allowances, blah, 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 and the plan. And this is Friday, the morning of the truck race, the fall truck race at Texas. And he says, fly, it, we'll, uh, fly up to Charlotte on Tuesday, and we'll sign this thing. Perfect. So so it's done. I mean, like, this thing is yeah. done. You're, now you're figuring out when signatures and announcements are yeah, happening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, like, yeah, we, I'm flying up here Tuesday mm. to sign. <laughs> to be done, yeah. That, that, that night at the truck race, Kyle spins horn out and under caution laps. Yeah. Oh, yeah, the Ron Hornaday dust, the, the major one. Oh, yeah. So Sunday or Monday might have been they they call and they're like hey can't come up to can't come up let's wait there's a lot of moving parts not sure Kyle's busy Kyle's busy what's monster going to do is monster going to step in if Mars pulls out you know I yeah. mean I'm sure you guys heard all, everything happening and so I'm like oh man so anyhow Oh that's right cuz Mars was Threatening to pull out of the whole smash, like the cup, everything. Kyle was effectively trying to fight for his career at that point. Yeah, 100%. After one weekend. That's right. Yeah. That's right. So, anyhow, wheels get back on track. So, (laughs) we're going to Homestead. Everything's good. We're, like, shooting high fives, right? And and I think think Kyle raced the truck race that, that night at Homestead. And, like, hey, fly up on Wednesday. Um, you know, that way it'd give us a chance to do the Xfinity banquet and the truck ban- banquet down there. I'm like, okay, no problem. And uh, so Sunday, if you go back, this is when uh, Kurt was driving for Penske. Yep. 
and he what? had he had that issue with Doc Punch. Yes, he cussed Dr. Jerry Punch out. He blew blew the engine of his car last race of the year. Gets out in the garage, and they're waiting on the interview to come live. Dr. Jerry Punch is waiting on the booth to send it down to him, and he's like, "Hey, Kurt, sorry for holding you up." And Kurt just starts chewing his tail. So unlike it's all Kurt. on video. Uh, Kurt, it's a. It's I su- haven't even seen the it video. Sucks for you Doc. have it. It's, it's worth it. You it feel sucks. Is it? Yeah. It sucks. You feel terrible for Dr. Jerry Punch. Yeah. But it it was Kurt at his lowest. He know. might have actually been, have been lower, lower at certain points, but <laughs> it was it was him at the at the end of his rope there. So, as you can imagine, I mean, now that you guys know what happens now, but. So I get another one of those calls on Mondays, like, hey, can't come up Wednesday. <laughs> I'm like Groundhog Day over here. It's like, okay. No, wait a second. You are fair to ask, though, this is, the, this is not the right bush, so I, why am I worried about yeah, this? Yeah, but why I kind of had, like, so Penske fires Kurt on Monday, right? Okay. Or released, rather. And um, they call me. I'm the next call. And uh, they're like, hey. Um, we're not, don't come up Wednesday. There's some things that are going down. We'll get back with you. I'm like, all right. And as soon as, as soon as he got released, I knew exactly what was going to happen. They were going to hire him. I mean, it's yeah. his brother. I mean, I don't know, and, and he's better. I would have still thought it was a coin flip because I'm not, they may be brothers, but they didn't always I, like each other. Well, but at the same time, I know Monster likes to win. And yeah. I know Kyle does, and, and Kurt's a hell of a lot better driver than I am, way more accomplished, so the, the riding was on the wall. I wasn't stupid. And I, I, I appreciate Monster even considering me to be a part of that program yeah. when, when, from the inception. But as soon as that – so anyhow, long story short, a few weeks went by, and they, they called me. Uh, my boss at Monster called me and says, hey, man, this is, this is the route we're going to go, and – blah 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 and um and i was totally understandable so at that point on boom i was dust in the wind my my four-wheel career ended boom just like that right like that you were almost in this car one of the it was going to be a two-year deal one of the one of the better cars in the series and i have a question for you yeah i was going to be in that as a two-year deal yeah and um, it's going to be fun, man, because, like, Danico is coming up. And, like, I remember, like, Monster's like, dude, if you could just run with her, I think it's a it's a cool story. You two are kind of on the same progression, and you're coming from this complete – you're then in this end of the spectrum, she's coming from there. There was a story within the race. Mm-hmm. But I, 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 I want to ask you, had I went there and it worked out, and it being a startup team, do you think that it – it would have given me everything that I needed or would I have been better at a more established organization? Well, I think that Kyle's team at the time was, uh, you know, so Kyle would run his own car and then Kyle would run Gibbs stuff. And you could then very easily kind of compare where Kyle's personal team was versus the cars that Gibbs could provide him. You could see a, a, a difference in how far KBM had to go to get where they wanted to be. He eventually shut down his Xfinity program for whatever reason. I, had he maintained that program, I think that he would have similar success as JRM. You know, he could have maybe even became the Joe Gibbs Bush, you know, outfit where Joe's drivers would drive for Kyle's team. And maybe Kyle envisioned that happening one day. But you would have, uh, you know, you would have probably. Not it was it wasn't the very best car, but it was a top ten car 
you know, and Kyle could get in it, and you could see how, you know, where he was dominant, literally almost a lock to win in Joe's car, he would drive his car the next week, and everybody could run with him, and you could beat him. You know, that was the difference in, 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 in his team at the time. So I don't know how that would have worked out for you. I really don't. Yeah. You know, that might have been a good experience. It might have been it might have been a frustrating one or a difficult one. They only won and they only won one race that yeah, year. Yeah, with Richmond, Kurt, right? Kurt at Richmond. And Kurt's way better driver well, than I am. What's interesting is probably the difference in expectations. I would imagine Kyle would have an expectation regardless of your inexperience or whatever, but like if, you know, he wants to win. Yeah. Monster said they just want you to beat Danica. Is that what you? That I mean, that's that's like, that that's kind of what I got like out I of it. I don't think that really matches up well. Like th- those two things. I don't know how. Okay. Like, yeah. Like Monster's expectations and Kyle's and expectations. Kyle's. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I, you know, I, I don't know. I, I, it's shocking though. I mean, how did you? That's what did you do? Like, I think a lot of people in the in y'all's world always wondered like man what what happened right and like even even in my world people's like what what why'd you quit racing right. you know and this is the first place i've this is the first time i've ever really told the story you know uh, across the air you know it's been so long now but so the next season yeah it was but i'm i'm done right the so next- then i'm just hanging out but I had Brandon, so and to this day, I'm still, I'm in brand ambassador for a lot of my sponsors. Still Monster, Fox, the apparel company that uh, I always wore their gear. I'm, I'm an ambassador for them, Triumph Motorcycles now. At the time, I was still busy with Suzuki, um, being an ambassador for them, riding the, their race bikes and testing and development, things, things, things like that, dabbling a little bit at the Supercrosses and the TV. You were done because you didn't have any other opportunities no. there. However, it's fair to say that you got a lot of opportunity. I mean, like people were calling you up. Why is Casey Kane even calling you up to offer a late model at the time? Why are these people doing that? And so you had all these opportunities. Now you don't. So how hard did you beat down the drum and the, and knock on doors to go try to find another ride? I didn't because I'm not that kind of guy. I, I, I'm horrible at asking someone for, hey, man, will you? Will so you, you didn't even go to Monster and say, I know y'all are doing this thing with Kurt and, and but you know, is there any opportunity for me to be anywhere? I mean, I may have, but yeah. I don't, I don't, I knew like they, they just said, Hey, what was your, I got to ask you like yeah. out of all of the things that you did, right. in the late model in, in mm-hmm. you know, in, in Florida trucks, when did you have the most fun behind the wheel? Like what car uh, in, in did the, you in the East series and the Xfinity series? You enjoyed those cars. Yeah, I loved. I always felt like I did better in the cars than I did in the trucks. Yeah. I think the way that they were shaped, aero. I mean, I go back to the truck series and the guys that I was having to race: Hornaday, Skinner, Bodine. I mean, you name them. Cool. I mean, the, I mean, those guys are aces, man. They raced in the Cup Series, and then now they're racing the Truck Series. And I'm, I have literally zero four wheel experience, right. and I've grew up on dirt my whole life, and I don't know anything about aerodynamics. And as soon as I figured out aero and how to pass and when to when to use it to your advantage, it was too late. It was like the last half of the year of, of the Truck Series, and I was at that point it was it was over. Yeah. But I, I liked the Xfinities. I, I liked those cars. I felt comfortable in those cars. And then, and then the, uh, the E-Series was a lot of fun as well. 
when you saw Jeremy McGrath get into Xfinity Series, did you already have sort of an understanding of exactly how that was going to go? For oh, you, you mean uh, uh, Pastrana? I'm sorry, Pastrana. I was um, when you saw that yeah, happening. Yeah. I bet you were like, "Oh, buckle up!" Yeah, buddy. yeah, yeah. It was going to be. <laughs> It was going to be a handful. Yeah. And I know how Travis is. I mean, the guy is super talented. It's unbelievable. I mean, he's a, yeah. he's a talent, and he can do a lot of things. But I just – I always felt like it it wasn't high a- action enough. Like, going, it was too redundant for him. You know, like, you have to focus. And that was one thing that blew my mind. Like, if, you would, <laughs> if I would talk on the radio, it's like, oh, your lap time was slower. I'm like, come on, man. Yeah. It's it's unbelievable. Was about, I had the same problem. <laughs> really? yeah. I'm like, they would be like, shut up. Yeah. <laughs> so I, the, I was like, yeah. I that's an interesting. That's a hell of a thing. To, that that makes so much sense with Travis because he seems like the kind of guy that he needs change. He needs new challenges at every corner. And even though he might have went through that turn and it was a great turn right he did a good job he's gonna go through it differently the next time because he can try he's gonna try to make it better and his like where nascar is almost a game of repetition Mm -hmm. and calmness and smoothness and and doing the same thing over and over and over i could see where that would conflict with his own personality yeah and i don't think he was in good cars the the roush stuff yeah i don't don't know how good that stuff was at that time yeah I wonder did you ever talk to him while he was going through i didn't i didn't so you got the opportunity yeah so I know y'all were y'all didn't have similar y'all weren't parallel in no. y'all's careers, but um, I had some run-ins with him though. You did talk about that. Yeah, 2002 was a, a real crappy year for me uh, from a fan standpoint because um, I just beaten the King of Supercross, and the crazy thing is, man, it's like 2001. The fans loved me. I mean, they were like so amped, right? It's like, yeah, man, you beat the King of Supercross. This is great. And then we go into 2002 series. I move manufacturers. Everyone thinks that Honda bought me. So I, I and, and then Feld, they're like lowering me down. We did this like promotional race or exhibition race at the MGM Grand Arena in Las Vegas. 100,000 to win. It's like a two-night deal. It's a lot of fun. We go there, and they drop me down and open in opening ceremonies in this in this like cage and I'm wearing like and sitting in a king's king's seat and I'm wearing this crown <laughs> and they're telling me this I'm like man I don't want to do this and I was just a young kid at the time like this don't seem right, right. I'm poo-pooing the king of supercross over here I said it's just not a good look no it'll be good I'm telling you I'm telling you do it it's it'll be it's gonna be awesome people are gonna love it you're the new you're the new guy you finally you finally dethroned I'm like man please I just I don't, I don't know no, you should do it I'm like all right and I do that I'm coming down, and and like I said, the fans had loved me until then. Come down, I hear I hear some booze. I'm like, man. So anyhow, we get through that race, and then that was in October. So then we go to the season opener. We go to Anaheim, and the place just boos me out for uh, the opening ceremonies. Mm. I shouldn't say booed me out, but there was there was just as many boos as cheers. I'm like, yeah. man, that's messed up. And I remember my engine engine guy they've been at honda forever he's like hey man don't worry about that stuff he said this is directed more towards honda they just think we bought you and all that stuff he said don't let it bother you so i'm like all right so fast forward to indianapolis supercross about round seven we're seven eight laps into the race i'm right behind i'm right behind um travis and he's starting to get a little bit tired so for you guys to be like you see the dude's tires are getting 
they're, they're at the end of their life and he's missing some corners right here, getting a little sloppy. And we're at Indy, like a home race for him. So right before the finish line, he misses his line. And I had this dude behind me, David Veelman, French guy, and that's the guy that I was battling for the championship. And he's just all up on me. I'm like, man, I got to force the issue here. So anyhow, he misses the line and I go and I'm like, okay, boom, there's my opportunity. I'm going to take it. I, I should have taken the opportunity three or four laps, but I was being nice. And as I get into this rut to make the turn, he's pointed this way and just goes right in front of me. And I run into him like that. There's nothing I could do. Completely his fault. He missed the corner and he was trying something that there was no shot he was going to get back by me. He crashes. I mean... As soon as that happened, I'll never, forget, I'll never forget, man. I was jumping in the place. I looked over, and this dude just had his middle finger up at me. I mean, I couldn't even do my post-race interview on the podium. The place booed me out of the booed me out of the freaking out of the stadium. Man. It was unreal. Did Travis say anything? No, he didn't. He didn't there. Then we got into well, it. He called you a name. Uh, did he? he <laughs> I think he called you. A Told, didn't he? he probably did. Yeah. He probably did. Probably more than that. Well, the crazy thing is, in the next year, we get into it. We're in a heat race at Anaheim. I don't know. I He passed me, and I went to pass him back, and he's on the outside. I'm on the inside, and I go to block him so he doesn't come un, cut back underneath me. And he sees that he wasn't going to be able to, so he just kind of ghosted the bike at me and just, like, launched it and just went from under his legs. And so the fans thought that I took him out. So here we go again. A year later, I'm with the chosen one, and, you know, I I took him out. Well, I got to give Travis credit. So Travis had to go to the semi-qualifier. He won it, and then he got on stage, and he told the fans, like, hey, guys, you, you were rough. I can't remember exactly what he said, but basically took up for me and said, hey, that was my fault. You guys take it easy on him. It it wasn't. That was cool. I think Travis's comment about you being an asshole was more of a compliment. In 2015, he said that he goes, in some ways, uh, you were kind of an asshole, but you had had to be an asshole to be the greatest, and that that Travis wasn't willing to go there. Mm -hmm. And I think that that, uh, a compliment in my my eyes. Like, he he didn't have – he didn't 100%. have he didn't have the ability to to do what it took uh, to be the goat, and sometimes to I mean to be the goat, you know you you shut out everything, you sacrifice everything, you beeline right by everybody, no eye contact through the garage, you know, mm-hmm. uh, you're not there to you make alienate friends. yourself. You do. put you, yourself on an island. You do. You put yourself on an island, and that like he 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 had other things that were lucrative at the same time also with the x games i mean he was becoming he was becoming that guy so he had a lot of distractions so he was supposed to be the guy that was going to knock me off and um and and i knew that he wasn't because i could see that he had these other distractions you know to be to be to reach the pinnacle and and have a lot of success you cannot have any distractions you can't talk about you you mentioned how you know travis got tired in that race and i think that when when i watch motocross or supercross you got guys that are fast but then the guys that win are the ones that are that have that durability and that 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 mm-hmm. physical uh you know sustainability to run the race mm-hmm. right you learned early in your career about training and how you had to incorporate that into your your career to be great right mm-hmm. 
speak to the importance of that for motocross and supercross riders. Yeah, I mean, the physical aspect of supercross and motocross is second to none. I mean, we, we focus probably just as much on our body, what we put in our body, how we train, what we do, cycling, running, strength training. You know, we, we work really, really, really hard at that. I mean, your body is your engine. So the deeper you can go into these races and not get tired is going to pay off substantially at the end of the race. So you can pick guys off. Say you get a bad start and you're coming through the pack. I mean, the last five minutes, you can pick guys off so easily. It's like free free speed or free free positions. Because they're so The dumb. guys are just, yeah, tongues dragging. So <laughs> it, it's cool. And I think at the end of the day, I feel like that's why we don't get the longevity uh, that we possibly could because the burnout factor wow. is so high. Yeah. You know, like every single... Every day you're training, or if you're not racing, you're training. Yeah. Or you can't do anything because you got to recover to train the next yeah. day. So yeah. it's it's. Uh, I think it, I think it goes unnoticed, you know, just because a lot of people we don't talk about it very often on the broadcast, just because we don't have the time or we don't show it. Uh, nowadays with social media, it's you you can see a little bit better, but yeah, it definitely goes unnoticed, and it is it is part of the ele- an important part of the element yeah. there, the, for sure and it goes back to and i wanted to tell you guys this because i think like i hated racing dirt bikes i absolutely hated it for the most part especially when i was a young kid and i remember there were times and i shared this with, with some uh, with sam jones great friend of mine on his off-camera show and it's like I, I just did it for my parents. There were times where I was hoping that it would rain after school so I wouldn't have to go practice. Mm. There were times where I was, and I felt so bad, I feel so bad for my dad, but it's like I was hoping my bike would break that day at practice so I could be done early. Mm-hmm. I just, I just, I hated it because all my practice stuff was always junk. All, all the, all our practice tracks were, crappy and not prepped and you know we're just riding at local spots and I still had to do my schoolwork and all my friends are having fun and these are this is like from age 8 to 14 once I got past 14 and I could see there was some light at the end of the tunnel and these these manufacturers recording courting me trying to sign me then it got better but those races I mean uh, I can't tell you the amount of times that I wanted to quit I can't, I mean, it wasn't, it, yeah, it wasn't fun. There's no doubt about it. It's weird, man. Yeah. I can imagine it was a difficult balance of, you know, being a kid, uh, you know, and watching what your friends are doing and knowing that we're, you know, you've made this commitment to your parents, right. To, to go through this. I'm gonna tell you, man, it's been an amazing opportunity to talk to you, uh, learn about you. Uh, really enjoyed getting to know you more over the last couple of years through our relationship with NBC Mm -hmm. and, hear a lot of great things about you through Diffie and yeah. I know you you love him yeah an opportunity to work with him but uh just want to thank you for giving us some time today to come share your experiences um I know you're humble and and um you probably I don't know your comfort level with it but when you walk into a room uh you change it uh and there's only a few people in in the world that really can do that uh, you earned the moniker of the greatest of all time. It's well-deserved, and we're we're very fortunate to be able to have the opportunity to, to speak with you. So I you know a lot of people Thank that listen you. to this are going to 
love all the details and in, in, information that you gave us today. So thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I love uh, love you guys' work and always been a massive fan. And like, I don't get starstruck much, but I, when I'm around this, <laughs> when I'm around this dude, man, it's uh, yeah. yeah. But uh, I'm proud of you proud of you guys and uh thank you for having me on it's truly a blessing thank yeah. you we're lucky for it man thank you rick carmichael on the dale jr download you know mike whether i've been in the garage right as a driver or in the studio as a member of the media the biggest lesson i've learned over the years is that we are all better off with an ally a friend a partner my favorite part of the download has always been the opportunity it gives me to connect with such a wide range of people. They love racing as much as I do, and it means so much to me that when we leave the guest segment, I leave it with a feeling that I can call each and every guest on the download a true ally. Thank you, Ally, for your continued support of the show and the entire Dirty Mo Media team. Coming in hot. <laughs> there we go. All right, we are live on YouTube. Hey everybody, it's Dale Jr. at the Dale Jr. Download. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for supporting our YouTube handle at Dirty Mo Media and everything else we do on social media. Tell your friends about it. Thanks for uh, Xfinity supporting this portion of the show, the Ask Jr. segment. You guys have sent all your questions to at Xfinity Racing on Twitter. And Hannah is going to gather her favorites. And hopefully she selected your question. Let's, let's get started. Well, the first one comes from Beer Guy. It says one, two, four, five finish for Junior Motorsports at Dover and Xfinity. How about that for that Dirty Mo Media ride? How cool was that to see? <laughs> I was, uh, you know, there's so many um, people that love the door bumper clear show. And then there's some people uh, in the industry that do not love it. <laughs> and boy, do I hear from them. <laughs> and uh, so that made me want the car to win for the haters. And so, um, you know, door bubble clear is an important part of the industry. Uh, I think it's necessary. It's kind of fun. They, they, they're not always, I don't always agree with them, but, and they are hard on us. They give us yeah. a hard time, but you know, you kind of like Kyle Bush, right? He's necessary. You might not love his personality. You might not love his attitude. You might not love the things he says or does, but our sport needs that complexity in, in you know everybody can't be the same everybody can't be the hero everybody can't be the villain you know you got to have a little bit of everything and they certainly bring their own you know their own sort of niche to to the sport and we love it but uh, of course we love it because they they're underneath our banner but um here lately they've been causing <laughs> uh, a, a lot of noise and and i like it man bring it come on brett let's hear the noise every week I can't think of a better example than calling them the Kyle Bush of Dirty Mo Media. That that is perfect for of, them. Of media. Of of media. Of NASCAR media. Yeah, they, they, <laughs> they can be Kyle Bush and I cannot wait to tell them that that's what they are. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Kyle Bush loves D D C and they'll eat it up too, because that's I mean, Brett's just out here causing a ruckus. Oh, he yeah. lives for it. He does. All right, we've got one coming in from the chat, which I actually found was funny. Uh, did you enjoy your race last night on Monday Night Racing? Because there was there was cuss words in my household. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. Dylan did not have a good race. So that's <laughs> so Monday Night Racing uh, is is uh, it's a great series on iRacing, and there's several of them out there that are competing in over the time. But um, uh, yeah, I, I raced with Dylan in in that race last night, and he competes. So when I get into a 
a planned event on iRacing. I feel like that I'm kind of a I'm a guest. I'm just there to hang out. Uh, I'm not gonna be the loudest guy in the room. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna be obnoxious and 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 put off a, ba- a bad vibe. So I just kind of hang out and just laugh at what I'm watching and seeing. And boy, there was a lot to laugh at last night. And I think Dylan could have used that approach. And might not be cussing. <laughs> he might not be cussing and having such a terrible time. If you go into it uh, just knowing you're gonna, you know, you're gonna see some things that are gonna be entertaining, uh, and try not to be part of those. Uh, it was awesome. I, re- I increased my wreck avoidance. Uh, you know, uh, if you could, you know, uh, you know, as you're, you know, like in in Madden, the players have awareness. Like yeah, level, right. Right? this guy's got ninety nine awareness. Is wreck avoidance an, an my, actual score that you make? I think there's no, no. You're just talking about in general. <laughs> yes, okay. I just made it up. Like, <laughs> okay, got it. Wreck avoidance <laughs> is something that every driver needs. And <laughs> yeah, if you right. don't have wreck avoidance, you're not you're not going <laughs> right. to keep your ride too long. But isn't it possible <laughs> that they think their wreck avoidance is way better than what it actually is? Like huh? TJ, I could see TJ being man, my wreck avoidance is a ninety nine. Yeah, well, no, I don't know. I, I I just think that uh there was a lot of practice last night for wreck avoidance. Some guys, were, <laughs> some guys were great at it. Some guys were lucky, like me. And um, yeah, I was in. There were so many wrecks that I avoided. If I was in the next one, I would have still felt really good about the night. But it was. Uh, I love racing on i racing, and and Monday night racing is a good series. Obviously, it happens pretty much every Monday night. Yeah, good times. Perfect. Next one. Um, with Darlington coming up, or this one comes from Hall Motorsports. With Darlington coming up, what are your top three schemes that you would like to see done as a throwback? Man, what a, put me on top three. Uh, I mean, it's, it's impossible to, 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 do, to do that. So, I, I, you know, if I'm on social media and you give me a couple of days to think about it, I would probably be able to answer that question to you. But on the spot here to pick your top three, um, honestly, I walked into uh, Junior Motorsports. When I come in uh, to do this show, I park in the back, and that allows me the opportunity to walk through the shop and, and see whoever I see as I'm coming to the show. And all of the throwback cars for Junior Motorsports are sitting on the service plates right now getting ready uh, for Darlington. Uh, there's Well, three of the four are over there. They look great. The car that Justin Allgaier is going to run is is a throwback uh, that, that – um, it looks really, really good. It actually has the correct number that, uh, you know, everything about it is correct as far as the colors, the numbers. One of the things that annoys the hell out of me uh, is that when people do a throwback, but they'll do the throwback in their colors, right? It's not the actual, it's not the colors of the throwback car. Say like, you know, this number two, Mike Curb, a uh, car that dad drove in 1980, Somebody might do a throwback of the same design, but use different colors, and that's so that's that it doesn't check all the boxes. Defeats the purpose, I feel like personally. Eh, you know, some of the sponsors just can't just can't loosen up, you know, and just let it happen. And so um, sometimes, you know, when the number lines up with the throwback, it's like a, a, it's like an eclipse, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, well, yeah, damn, they're doing a throwback, and they have the right number. Um, <laughs> So that's always pretty cool, and, and it's rare, you know. And so that's why I use the eclipse analogy, Mike. Yeah, um, happens once just enough. Yeah. Uh, so, anyways, this Justin Algar one is one of my favorites that I've seen that I haven't seen in a long time. The one that Josh Berry's going to run, I, you know, it's it's I'm partial to it. Uh, it's right here on the table. This car right here has the right. Hey, has the same number, yeah, same right? Number. So, uh, and there's another car that 
uh, Rick, our Rick Mass throwback, right? Same number. Sam Mayer, same number. So uh, I guess I can't tell you my top three. It, it probably changes every year. But when you can name, when you can get the colors of the car right and the number together, you have hit pay dirt on the, on the throwback weekend. Uh, next one comes from Ricky. It says, true or false, would you say that Ross Chastain is a legitimate championship contender at this point in the oh, season? Oh, yes. Sure. I mean, without question, Ross, uh, you're waiting on them to show up and run like you expected them to run every week. You're waiting on them to go to a racetrack and run, you know, struggle to be 15th. I think that everyone in the room, everyone watching right now, nobody guessed that they were going to do what they're doing. If you if you say you you thought this is what they could do, you're lying. And um, let's be honest, right? This is uh, this is pretty incredible what Trackhouse has been able to do this year. But they keep showing up and they keep backing it up. They keep they keep running into top five. They're leading laps. Ross's team, particularly of the two, has been the most impressive. And so uh, you know, I, I know Daniels wanting to get up there and, and be able to put up the same numbers. He's the first driver that this team hired. And um and I'm and I believe he will. I believe he will have his moments this year. But they're both running way better than uh any of us could have guessed. And Ross is a uh, a championship contender. I watched some of the post race Truex goes up to Ross on Pit Road. They had a conversation. Um and so it was. I asked. I talked to Truex a little bit last night, and he he told me it was a it was a good conversation. But the that was tough to watch because I'm a huge Truex. is my buddy, right? Big fan of his. I know a lot of people have feelings about Truex. Uh, you know that he won't win the war. Comment that he made, and, and damn if Logano doesn't go win the war, right. <laughs> uh, passes him at Homestead, right? Um, and there seem, you know, Truex gets pretty animated over the radio, and and a lot of those comments uh, can rub people the wrong way. But Truex is a clean race car driver. He's not going to go out there and run run over somebody, uh, at least in, unless he's pushed too far. Anyways, also on the other side of that, Ross <laughs> rented from us forever. Ross Ross lived less than a mile from me for years as he was trying to work his way through the Xfinity series, through the truck series. Um, and so I've had a lot of conversations with him over the, over the years uh, about different things uh, and, you know, him trying to get his career to where it is today. And um, it's been fascinating to watch Ross move up through the ranks and do things that honestly we didn't think were possible. Uh, win races and and compete the way he is in the Cup Series. So Ross has a Ross is a lightning rod at this point. And um, not to go on and on about this, but you know we all know that Ross isn't there to make friends. We all know Ross is there to do what he needs. Ross is all about him, not in a I guess in a selfish way, selfish way, but you can't fault him for it. He's worked really hard to put himself in this position, and he's done. He's not gonna give up anything uh to lose it he's not gonna he's not there to be friends with anybody and and if and whatever he does on the racetrack he doesn't apologize for because if you can't handle it you can't handle it if that means you don't want to be his buddy then he's fine with that um it's quite interesting 
as much as I love Truex, and he will always be one of my best friends, and I think that he is a cool cat because, you know, he's that blue-collar, hunting, fishing, outdoorsman kind of guy that we need in the sport. Ross is that I don't care. I'm not here to make friends guy that we need in the sport. Uh, and, and boy, have we lacked some of that. Ross is a guy that's come in, that's in there, and he's out there racing like he's not getting a not, he's not getting a check. You know what I'm saying? He's like he's like every spot he's racing for is worth food on the table. A uh, bit of a throwback in the way he drives, in my opinion. He doesn't doesn't give an inch, and uh, we need a lot of guys out there like that. More the better. I got a giggle when they asked him afterwards you know, what him and Truex were talking about. And he's like, we were just figuring out where we're going fishing next week. And everyone's yeah. like, mm, okay. <laughs> yep. It, it was actually not as why, not as mean of a conversation. Yeah. I talked to Truex a little bit about it. And he, they just had they it. were talking about what it's like to rent from Dale. Yeah. <laughs> that's a good point. They both, they both <laughs> rent from Dale. How is Dale as that's, a landlord? That, that's the new reality. <laughs> I, uh, I forgot that Truex actually at, rented from us as well. Rent so. from Dale, win cup races. It's pretty simple. <laughs> this is the formula. Didn't he live with uh, uh, Steven too for a while? Stefan? Yeah. I don't remember. Who, Truex? No. Oh, no. It was okay. Yeah. Wrong. Way to go. Yeah, way to, way to ruin it, Dillner. <laughs> got the facts straight. Got to have once a show. <laughs> All right, last one here. This one actually has been uh, on the chat for the last couple weeks and finally getting to it. It's come from a couple people, this one being C.L. Tucker and Marsha. It says, both alluded to having uh, your dad having a possible race car graveyard with several used cars on the edge of the woods behind the chicken houses. Do you remember that? Actually, that might be true. Um, if it was several, we're talking maybe you know five, four or five. Not not a lot. He didn't have. Uh, it wasn't a purpose. It wasn't a purposeful thing. Just to so by the chicken houses. Uh, there's the big DEI that you drive by, and see every you know if you're driving down Highway Three. There's the giant uh, Garage Mahal DEI, and then just just down the street. Um, there's a gated driveway. That was two dads' house. Beyond that is another gated small building. And in that building was the truck team at one point. And then the AC Delco car that I drove was in there. And um, Michael Waltrip's cut team was in there for, for a period of time. There were some cars around that i mean it's literally in the set you go through the same gate and that there's that shop and there's the chicken houses so there were some cars destroyed that were in you know in proximity of, of all that but there wasn't like a purpose there wasn't like a place you could go where like, i'm gonna check and show you a bunch of cars that we've wrecked or piled up over here usually um the cars that we crashed would go down to doug wayne's junkyard which was which is still there it's wayne's wayne's auto Wayne's salvage or something on the right if you're driving toward Charlotte down Highway 3, there's a junkyard. I got all of my street stock parts out of that junkyard. I've crawled underneath giant, you know, big old Lincolns to get the giant right front spring out of them and, and underneath all kinds of Chevrolets to get ball joints and A-frames and uppers and lowers that we've bent and um, carried a toolbox in the back of my S10. We'd drive back in there, climb under a car, get what we needed, and drive out. And we, we, we could do that because we had their, their logo on our street stock car. And when Steve Park drove, I think it was Steve Park, it was either him or Hornaday drove a blue, uh, what was that blue number 14, something with, something for children, racing oh, with yeah. children, racing yeah, for yeah, children. Yeah. It's like a tealish blue. Like yeah. A, yeah. So that car, they, that was dad's very, very first cup car, I think. Uh, you got the die cast over there. Anyways, that car, yeah, that car, wow. <laughs> that car crashed 
somewhere, and uh, it's in it, it. There it is. <clears throat> Racing for Kids magazine. Um, so yeah, this car. There's no driver's name on there. I think Park drove it, and maybe Hornaday drove it. Jeff different. Green, maybe no, maybe. But um, I think this might have been. I there, I feel like that either the there was a Burger King Cup car in this car, maybe in the same year. Um, but anyways. That one of those chassis with the shell and everything, I think, is still on that property at Doug Wayne's. A wrecked wow. one, yeah. But anyhow, all of our cars typically would go to Doug Wayne's, and so there might be a couple of roll cages chassis back in the junkyard somewhere. By the way, Stephen Stephen corrected me. He he lived with Barry, not Truex. Sorry, Barry. sorry, Stephen. Yeah. Wrong okay. wrong driver. <laughs> well, that is it for this oh, week's nice. Ask Junior on YouTube. So. I'm sure we start. I'm sure that that created more, more questions. More questions. Oh yeah. yes. <laughs> that Ash Junior was a little bit all over the place, but hey, that's what's great about that segment. We really appreciate all the great questions you guys are sending in to Xfinity Racing at Twitter. If you want to, uh, you really, it's kind of a ask ask me anything uh, portion of the show, and uh, the more creative you guys get, the better. So we appreciate that. Thanks again for all the support at Dirty Mo Media. And it sucks when it ends. It goes by too fast. It goes by way too fast. Yeah. Too fast. Uh, it's almost like it goes by at the speed of Xfinity X5. Yeah, Xfinity X5 is more than just fast, though, Mike. It's reliable. It's powerful. It's secure. That means everyone can do more of what they love with this faster internet. That's true. You can keep your crew connected with Wi-Fi coverage that delivers the speed your devices need so your crew can stay in the fast lane on race day. A lot about your crew right there. A lot about your crew. Yeah. Remember, everyone, to send your Ask Junior questions to Xfinity Racing on Twitter. That's at Xfinity Racing. Your crew, uh, you know, I think my crew is like my family, my wife right. and kids, right? Right, your crew. Cool. Boy, we have a bunch of devices. Do you? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's so many devices. You just think about it, right? Uh, all your uh, TVs, your tablets, your watch. Your watch, your phone, everything. Everything is wireless. Uh, so, you know, if you, it, it's funny. I'll, you'll go, I'll go into my app and look at all the things that are connected, and I'm like, holy moly. So, um, so it's just. I just, you know, I'm just blown away that I can, you know, Xfinity X5 for me. I, I think I get 200 megs in my package, and it's more than enough to do everything I need to do. I got a million devices connected. Plus, I'm, plus I'm gaming. That's, oh, that's you know, right. gamers are critical. That's right. Well, you cannot be, you cannot have can't, a bad connection. Can't have a glitch. You'll get clowned by your buddies. <laughs> they will. So, um, yeah, Xfinity X5 gives you all the speed that you need, all the bandwidth. Before we hit the road, though, we want to thank Xfinity. They do so much for this podcast, so much for the entire sport. That's why they're the proud premier partner of NASCAR. All right, man, that was a great show. Ricky Carmichael was a great guest. Awesome. To have that uh, paint scheme unveil, those I love the the flexibility and freedom that Justin Marks and Trackhouse have to be able to do really kind of what they want. You look at their paint schemes, and they are pretty aggressive, unique. They're they're really busting out of the envelope, right? Yeah. And uh, and they have this sort of opportunity and freedom to do cool opportunities or cool things like this with their throwbacks. Uh, not you know you not only are you getting those two cars that that me and dad raced in Japan, that was a great moment in my life. My first time racing against my dad, and uh, and you smoked him 
Well, <laughs> it's a great story, and they're doing a throwback not to one, but to both. That's amazing. It yeah. really is kind of cool. cool. So uh, appreciate that, and I hope fans enjoy it, and um, they'll look great out on the racetrack. Yeah, we're pulling for them. And uh, Ricky Carmichael, fantastic. Enjoyed having uh, time with him. Yeah. Yeah. What a career he's had. Not bad. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, guys, uh, great show. Hope you guys have a great week. Episode 380. We're out. Check out Dirty Mo Media on Twitter, Facebook, TikTok, and Instagram.